0: Many
1: will welcome the meeting, others may hear the unknown, but we've had time for learning. We will find you we whenever alone, time no more, time no more, we've had time for learning. Now, time
0: no more. Okay, backup recording, which I should have had going before I pulled you guys in and we're, we were live like this, but that's what this show is all about. Screw-ups and um, amateur moves. There we Sounds go. Sounds
2: like tables, ladders, and chairs.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> Friday Mysterioso, and I'm here with uh, Paul Kimball, host, producer, director, writer, and um, all-around god of uh, the new show, Haunted, and his um, uh, cameraman, co-host, all-around god of everything technical on the show, just about Dylan Garland. How are you guys? Can you hear me? Go like
3: Mike. I'm very... I'm a lot better now that I have that title.
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, when I I was at the, um, and we will get into this, when I was at the, the Queens County Museum with you two guys for that ghost hunt outing during the East Coast Pair Conference, the time before, I mean, the last time I met Dylan, between that time and this time, he had turned into a full-fledged ghost hunter, and he had this very even-keeled attitude about it. He wasn't like, oh, my God, what's that? Or, you know, any of those things you hear... I remember one time we're walking in this room and um, somebody said, there's a cold spot here. I walked over. It's like, no, there's not. I don't feel any damn cold spot. And then Dylan walked back there to see if there was anything there. He goes, yeah, it's cold here. And I was like, okay, great. I didn't even feel that. And then I walked towards that spot behind Dylan. And as he went by me, he was trailing the cold spot behind him, which was (laughs) very strange. And he was just like, yeah, there's a cold spot here. And he he actually pulled the cold spot with him. I tell people it was like walking through a wall of air conditioning. In this yes. like, you know, in this very warm museum in the middle of the summer. Anyway, um what uh let's see. Dylan's never been on oh, well, he doesn't know about the uh intros, the introduction uh music or theme. He doesn't know about the theme. There's three different versions. There's an OG version, there's a version that has my name in it, and there's one that's against um the uh extraterrestrial explanation for UFOs. Which one would you like to hear, Dylan?
3: I'm gonna have to go with the OG one.
0: All right. Okay, here it is—the original um, Radio Mysterio, Mysterioso intro, that was uh, the show opening for many, many years until I started playing with things and and going crazy and ruining it. yeah, usually I'm using that time to, um, as, uh, who did, who said this? And I've, I've mentioned this before, uh, Louis CK, when you, when you have kids and you're walking around the behind the car to go to the other side, it's like a little vacation. So what that, what the intro does is give me a little vacation to double-check everything is, that everything's going before, I, before um, uh, we start the show. You guys still there? Yep. Oh, okay. Yes. A little bit of an introduction. I'll, I'll do some of it, and you fill in the stuff that I left out. A few years ago, I don't know how many, I can't remember, Paul uh, produced a show called Ghost Cases. That show ran. It I think it did fine. And then um, recently, in the last, uh, this year, I think, or... It be, did you start shooting last year?
2: Uh, started shooting in um, April of twenty. I was going to say two thousand eight. What? Sorry. Yeah. You know, there's two hundred billion people that live in Brazil. Um, sorry, that's an inside joke. I'm Dylan and I. We started shooting in April of twenty seventeen.
0: <laughs> okay, and uh, so yeah, and uh, as I as I recall, and talking to you and talking to Dylan about this, um, it seems like this show has been a lot more. Active than the last one, and in a different way. So, uh, like, I I guess my first question would be, why, Paul? Why, why, Paul? Why did you do a new show? What made you? What gave you the impetus to do a new show? Call back your co-host Holly. All that. Are are you insane? No. Why'd you do it?
2: We're laughing because um, I'm drawing dollar signs. Somebody paid me. So at at the end of the day, same reason I did the first ghost show. I needed a gig, honestly. Uh, But you know what? that's that's a funny answer and there's a small amount of truth to that but um i i i always sort of felt after that because we only did one season of ghost cases and for various reasons uh we didn't do a, th- a second, third sorry a third we didn't do a second and i always felt like something was unfinished and so some of what was unfinished i addressed in my book uh in 2012 the other side of truth currently still available for sale um and uh I always thought, you know, if I ever had the chance to go back and do it again, I would. I would only do it with Holly. Um, I, I sort of said, you know, if somebody else came to me and said, look, you can do chasing ghosts or something, um, not interested. But if I could go back and do it with Holly again, I would because, you know, we're sort of a team. And, uh, and Eastlink gave us the opportunity to do that, a network up here in Canada. So I said, yeah, absolutely, sure. And Dylan was working with us on just a bunch of stuff. And has been for the last few years. So we brought him and uh, his friend Chelsea Camo on board. My brother's—you uh, you won't see him in the first two episodes—but he comes on board as uh, a crew member as well. And and everybody kind of gets on the camera. So whereas Ghost Cases was mostly just Holly and me. Every now and then we had a psychic in. When we went to the United Kingdom, we had my friends Dave Sadler and Steve Mara. But it was it was there were a lot of episodes where clearly it was me and Ollie, and that was it. This sort of iteration of haunted it's I mean Holly and I are still at the center, but Dylan more than anyone, I mean, everybody kind of gets dragged in at different times, but Dylan literally starting, you know, on day one, got dragged in. Okay. And it's funny when you mentioned the cold thing where he trails cold. Yeah. I mean, that's Dylan can tell the story better than I can, but we did. It's in the third episode, which shares <laughs> fittingly on Halloween. Of course. So the per- where I, I sort of maybe, Called down a demon or a ghost or whatever might have been there, and i i I sent after Dylan on camera, and he quit the show on camera, and you can see the show walk you can see him walking away, and then he came back like ten seconds later and i <laughs> being, being the good guy that I am though, I apologized, and I took the unlike Holly, who when she sends demons after Dylan and he can describe that later too, she <laughs> literally still won't admit that she did it but um but i immediately said yeah no my bad terribly terribly bad but at that point on the stage i went you know wow oh i feel really cold and dylan went yeah i feel it too so and that's kind of maybe where it began for him uh and then it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where holly and i now joke you know all that stuff that used to trail and haunt and 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 whatever us well we we dumped it all on dylan and, uh, and so he, he
0: became awesome. kind of a magnet uh, as a result of being on the show.
2: Sure, a, ma- a magnet. Yes, that's that's one way of putting it.
0: Or a, a center of activity, or some a beacon. I, I don't know what you call it.
2: Those are those are also other ways of putting it. Sacrificial lamb, or <laughs> a lab, a lab rat. A lab rat. Oh, <laughs> uh, what is it? No controlled experiment. there you go
0: calls it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do- Dylan, didn't we work on 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 the film that shall not be named together? I think we did. We did.
3: I was only there for two or three days, uh, but yes, that was the first time I met you back in uh, <laughs> <yes. laughs> two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. That's not ghost cold. That's past cold. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: uh, that's, that's Sandy
2: Point cold.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was. It was. Uh, I. I will bleep this out if you like. But the film was Eternal no. Kiss and.
2: Uh, no. Oh, I made my peace with Infernal Miss.
0: So, I think uh, you have, because we actually went to the, the sign at the um, at the at the Shelburne sign, which is where the shooting took place. And in, in, the shooting took place in Shelburne. Um, the production took place in Shelburne. And we actually I, I didn't think I didn't think Paul would even go near Shelburne. But he actually stood in front of the sign and posed uh, when we drove by there when I was out there last year. So I guess he had exercised some of those demons. Um, yeah.
2: and We have to make clear for your American listeners that this was in Canada, so when Greg says the shooting took place in Shelburne, we were shooting a film, as opposed to if this had taken place in America, it would have a totally different meaning, unfortunately. Up here, we just use cameras, folks, just cameras. So um, there were still plenty of casualties, but uh, including almost my career, and certainly about two or three years of my life. Um, but, you know, that's out of every cloud, there's a silver lining, and one of the silver linings <laughs> Out of Eternal Kiss was uh, Dylan, who came on board. How old were you, 16? Uh, I might have been younger. I might have been like, I think I was only 15. Yeah, so he was a young high school student who wanted to make films. And uh, his mom somehow cooked it up with the owner of the studio, Crazy Jim Kendrick, Mm -hmm. to uh, introduce him. And he said, look, uh, you know, do you mind if this kid comes on board and job shadows you as a director? And, And by that point, Greg, you might remember I was drinking heavily. So, I don't know. I probably said something like, which Jim took as a yes. And the next thing I know, this kid's on my set. And I went, how the hell? Who is this? Who is this? Little, who who let the kid in?
0: I, I thought he was and, a full-fledged member of the crew. I think I actually still have pictures of uh, Dylan on the set.
2: Well, he worked harder than most of the crew. So.
0: <laughs> and
2: he wasn't there for the crew rebellion at the at the end of the shoot. So uh, So, Dylan skated completely scot-free. Uh, of all of the bad stuff and he got to see a little bit of the good stuff and you know and then i don't know what you came back and tracked me down a few years later when you were going to the uh, school here in halifax well i yeah because that was like i was in grade
3: nine when that happened so that was a while ago so a couple years later i'm in i'm in university and and we met again for the first time at HalCon.
1: Oh, I don't know right. if you remember this. Yes,
3: We bumped into each other. We had a brief conversation then we went our separate ways. And then we bumped into each other one more time. And and then we said, like, what are you doing now? And then it just kind of spiraled into you had, I believe, Cuckoo and the Clock was about right. to be written or it was in some.
0: An- another one of Paul's films.
3: Yes. Subsequent oh, films
2: are based on a story by
3: Walter Bosley. Yes, yes. And then uh, we just kept working together on projects. Uh, you were helping me out with a couple of things. I was, I've been on every one of your feature films so far. And then almost uh, 10 years later, it's, see, I wasn't there for the crew of for Eternal Kiss, but it did take me 10 years to pretty much walk off of Haunted.
2: <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't really Even for really 10 brilliant. seconds. The crew rebellion on Eternal Kiss was completely uncalled for. Dylan leaving the stage unhaunted. <laughs> Haunted, that was fair. I can't, Justify. I can't argue with that. That was that was like overthrowing Trump. That was a perfectly legitimate move. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the crew rebellion on Haunted, on Haunted though. On Ghost Kiss, you weren't even there, Greg. That's why they rebelled, because you had left, and I didn't have anybody to help me anymore. Oh, I was so,
0: thinking they rebelled because I hadn't ruled enough of, with enough of an iron hand. Um, which I didn't, except for in, you know little cases when somebody would say, "I don't feel like doing that," and I go, "Okay, then I'll do it. Why don't you just go and go to sleep, and I will do your job for you?" And then they go, mm-hmm, god damn it!" And then they go do it. <laughs> no, yours was, yours was more
2: like a tequila-soaked foam finger from a Dodgers game. Which, you know, see, work better, I think. So with a bat flying around the finger. Yes, yeah. that's, that's used. So anyway, this is all back, I'm sure terrible. Yeah, it's back back
0: to the show because they you know the listeners are dropping off like flies. Um, I mean, we're no, just no, we're
2: reminiscing not. about old times. But. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, yeah, you came back to do this the new show, Haunted. Um, so, what's different on this one? I mean, I, I watched all of one of the episodes you, you showed me when you were cutting them together, um, uh, that specifically one in Queens County, which we will talk about. But what's, you know, what did you decide to do different on this show um, than the other one? And what's been the result? Because it seems like you've had kind of better results on this one uh at least with um phenomena so well, what, what 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 yeah. was your philosophy going in real uh, how was it different
2: on oh, a whole different things um in with ghost cases my partner at the uh, business partner and at the time and i didn't really get along so there was some tension on the shooting so that affected the the show but um, and some creative differences too And it's not that he's a bad guy or I'm a bad guy. We just didn't see things the same way. So that always has an impact on a show. But we were younger. I mean, Holly was 24 or 25, and I was 40. So, wow, that's a long time ago. No, I was 42, but still younger, and we hadn't done it before. And, you know, a lot of stuff just took us by surprise, and it, frankly, took us both a, a fair amount of time to process what was happening. So things would happen and you'd be like, this can't be happening, right? Because I was very skeptical and so was Holly. And I think, you know, really it took us eight years to kind of run all that through our minds. And also we had not really seen each other for eight years. She moved to Vancouver shortly after. So, you know, there was a bit of weirdness, too, when she came back. It's like, are we still going to click? You know, are we still the mullion sculder of old? Turns out, yes, we are. And uh, now we're armed with a little more understanding of of what we're getting into. And I don't know whether I think it makes for better television because more stuff has happened. We're more willing to open ourselves up and drag other people in with us. But um, I'm not. It's funny. Miguel uh, Red Pill Junkie wrote a review today for um, for the Daily Grail because I sent him the first two episodes Ah. and it's. It's generally a very positive review. And thank you, Miguel. But he makes a couple of points, one of which is and so here's how it's different Two two things. One of which he uh, points out at the end, he says, these guys are good. This is a good show. They will have me hooked if it becomes, you know, if only they would make it more about their journey as people going through this experience. Because every ghost show has, you know, the REM pod and all that stuff that we use. And I felt like writing them back and saying, "Okay, I'm going to send you the other 11 episodes when they're done, Miguel, you will see. And this is where it's different. We specifically set out to make a show that was a journey. So we reference previous episodes. Uh, It's not a drama. We're not making anything. It is a drama, but we're not making anything up. It's not scripted. But there's no question that as we went through it, a story emerged. And the story was as much about us. And it was originally going to be me and Holly, and then became me and Holly and Dylan, and then Chelsea and Jim got dragged in, um, and Kim Bennett, who was with us for a few episodes. So it's, there's that character journey, um, and, you know, we are characters. We're real people, but you can call us characters, if you will, if you don't know us, and you can follow our journey. It's very real. It's very organic, but that sets us apart, I think, from most other ghost shows, including Ghost Cases, mm-hmm. where there was a little bit of that. But most ghost shows, they show up at a place. Hi,
0: here we are. What's your story? Yeah, it's it's right. reaction and mostly.
2: He, right. And then they resolve it and then they drive away and then they never refer to that again. We constantly like you will see us because we shot this in a f- relatively constrained space of time, about a month and a half total. Hmm. You'll see worse that we could be at location five. And what happened in locations two, three, four, and one are still resonating with us. And I don't want to be cheeky here, but haunting us, if you will. So the haunting element, the being haunted element, just builds throughout the entire show. So I chose haunted as a title because I thought Holly and I were still haunted by what had happened to us all those years ago. And then as it turns out, it was even more apropos because we become consistently haunted by what's happening happening to us in the show. And... Sort of, I've sort of rambled on here. I just want to hand it over to Dylan because people have heard my voice a lot over the years on your show and other shows, and I've talked about a lot of this stuff too. So cool. Here's this young guy, Dylan's only what do you know, 24, 25. Oh man, 25. Wow, I remember when. Uh, so Dylan's only 25, and he he came in mostly as a hey, this is a good gig, and I get to, I get paid, and you know credit, and I like working with Paul. Two of those things are true. And <laughs> by the time he left, so here's a real journey. I came in still skeptical but Holly and I had done this before. Dylan hadn't. So, you know, my my question to Dylan...
0: Yeah, that was going to be mine, too, actually, what you're going to say.
2: Yeah, sure. Like, what were you expecting when you came in? And when you left at the end of the first season, and I say that because we've been renewed for a second season, which we start shooting soon, um, how did you feel at the end of the first season? So if you want to chart somebody's journey, we all had one, but he really—it's like. Yeah what what
0: what change did the character go through? That's always required.
3: <laughs> well, it's it's funny because when I was kind of brought in to be the cinematographer, I my first and this is the complete honest answer—the the, the one thing I was thinking about was like, okay, how are we going to fake stuff? Because it's <laughs> kind of this preconceived notion that a lot of these shows are fake. So I'm like, okay, it's TV. Um, I've never had those conversations with Paul about the paranormal, so I don't know his side of it at all. I got to know it through this, through Making Haunted. But the second that we got to our first location, I kind of quickly realized that, no, it's we're going to a place, we're letting whatever happens, happens. If nothing happens, that's the episode. If something does happen, then we'll follow up on it. I was not necessarily a complete skeptic going in, um, but I had my doubts that we would be chasing orbs, yeah. the whole time. Which I'm not a huge like Paul. I'm not a huge fan of orbs. Um,
0: Me neither.
3: It yeah, they, they just I'll say this, not to discredit anybody else's orbs, but if we included every single orb we saw on this shoot, we would never make like us as people would never be on the screen.
2: No, although we did have a couple of its context, as I've always yes. said. So there are I'm not a big believer in orbs unless you can put it into an overarching context of a series of events that happen very close together. And once or twice in the series, uh in the first season that happened to us. Yeah. And so when you see the orb and these all these other things are happening, then you go, Well, okay, maybe that ball of light is actually something interesting. Who knows?
3: My my biggest I think change from from uh the first couple of episodes to probably the last, and this is a famous Paul Kimball favorite word to use, is synchronicities. Because there comes a point where so many things are happening in one place that match up to this thing that none of you guys know. Because I was very selective with what I told you about one of the locations in in the season, uh, which is a place called Cooper's Inn. And it's actually a place where my family, uh, my mother when she was about three or four, they live there. Um, And I told Paul that, but I didn't tell him much else. I didn't tell anybody anything else. And things just kind of started happening and happening. And the next location... Those things kind of were consistent, and then they were add, kind of building this big stream of it – It's kind of web of a story. We use the analogy a lot. It's a big spider web of just things happening, and then at the end of it, we're like, oh, wow, that's kind of weird that it relates. So my whole, I think, switch from day one of being, we're making a TV show. How do I, as a technical aspect of this show, make this look real to, huh, I wonder why that happened. Yeah. What's going to happen next? Uh, so it, I think I, I went a, a lot away from the technical filmmaking side to interest in the events. I guess if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it does. It it means you start it. The funny thing is that what, what resonates with me when you say that is you started out kind of agnostic about it. You didn't. You didn't say I'm going in whole hog or. Or you didn 't say you know this is a bunch of b s you 're just kind of like well whatever happens i 've got other things to worry about, and almost as a not a, a, a side you know a, a, as a side theme to that, suddenly stuff started happening around you I, I think there might be a connection there what do you, what do you think of, about just having that attitude and being sort of disinterested at first
3: I, I think so um, we, I was very – because i I've, I've, I was open. To an extent, I guess, when, when I first came up. And I think agnostic is probably the perfect word for that. Yeah. Um, but the more that I, I distance myself away from that, you know, I've got other things to worry about. I, I kind of just found myself very uh, – a lot more open to theorizing. It's one of my favorite parts about this show is that, you know, we, we take the time to sit down and we theorize about the context of situations and just discuss that. Um. I found myself a lot more excited about the possibilities the more that we got into this show. And I think at first I was one track mind of this needs to look good. And I just kind of switched over.
0: So you're, you, you, can, you, you do both now. You've, you're, you're technically involved, but you're also um, or, did you, or did Paul decide to hire somebody else so that you could be more of a more of a personality on the show? character right?
2: i can't afford that sorry yeah I,
3: I as as of right now unless i don't know something that paul knows uh no i am kind of splitting splitting my job duties here i'm a part a kind of uh not a host but a guest depending on you know what happens going in the on, yeah. exactly but uh, yes i am still part of the old uh cinematography yeah side
0: of actually um as you say that i'm just thinking uh, as i hear that and what's been going on if if your role was changed and you became a host, I bet some of that stuff would stop.
3: Yeah, it, it's, it's funny because it a lot of the stuff happens not so much when we're in the middle of filming because I'm actually on a couple of segments where Paul takes over the camera or his brother Jim, who's on the show, mm-hmm. he takes over the camera. And I can't remember a moment where that stuff happened while I was on the camera. It always tends to happen, as I told Paul, it never tends to happen when we expect it to happen. It's always in the middle of, say, I'm moving a camera somewhere or I'm in the middle of this somewhere. So I think if I'm focused too much on it, I'm never going to find anything. Yeah. Where I think if I'm doing my job and I'm, I'm shooting these, I'm taking care of the closed circuit TVs and all that stuff, things tend to happen to me. So you might be right.
0: Yeah, when you, when you stop trying to make things happen, it seems like when they happen, I, I think you both mentioned that to me, and other people that have gone through this kind of thing and done this kind of investigation or worked on shows or whatever, so any kind of this, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, paranormal-type phenomena, no matter what it is, seems to happen when people aren't really looking for it, expecting it, or, or concentrating on it. Exactly. Yeah,
2: and you know the truth is, um, like we're all working. So I guess the only one who doesn't have to work is Holly. She's primarily there as a host. She helps out carrying gear and stuff. But no. you know her her job is to be a host. My my job is split between being a host, but also directing and you know setting things up and working with Dylan to plan shots and stuff like that. And Chelsea's doing sound, and Jim's doing. Tech management, production management, and looking after the monitors. Yeah. And uh, and Holly actually, you know, to be fair to Holly, she does some tech management too because we have a lot of gear to manage. Right. And generally, I think it's safe to say Holly looks after that stuff. So you know, we all have other things to do to kind of keep us busy, and we still, you know, I can think of a couple of times when I had the camera on my shoulder. You know what? Here's a good example. Uh, I can think of one time in particular when I took the camera, which is a beast. It's like really heavy. So kudos to Dylan. Uh, and that was in Cooper's Inn when we were filming a rem, extended REM pod segment that you and Kim and Holly were all involved in. Oh, right. And, yes. you know, stuff that, that really was all about Dylan, actually. But there's a there's a segment that probably now isn't going to be until season two because we're carrying an episode or two over to season two that we actually already shot. And uh, that's in a place called Ottawa House in Parsborough. And so we get a, it's an old uh, it's a lovely, lovely old house owned by one of Canada's Fathers of Confederation sort of our founding fathers, and he became a prime minister briefly. So he's from Nova Scotia. Charles Stubber. Anyway, in the House National Historic Site, Dylan and I went down into the basement. I had already been down. There's a lot of weird stuff happening, cold, discernible cold, like temperature drops being recorded. So it's not just me going, I feel cold. There's the temperature gauge going, yeah, it is getting like ding, 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 down she goes. And Dylan and I went down, and neither of us had cameras. We used GoPros. So we kind of wedged them into this dark little sort of alcove area of the basement, total darkness. And it was just me and him. And, uh, and weird. I mean, frightening. Fr- is that fair? Frightening? Were we frightened? I was frightened. Uh,
3: I, yeah, I, I fr- actually forgot about that. At
2: um, least <laughs> blocked it out. It,
3: kind of, actually. It, it, it was a time, I won't get into specific details, but it was very unnerving because what I saw, and this is a pitch dark and then, because we have flashlights on, because I I tend to throw the flashlight on more often than I should because I get scared. Um, <laughs> there was something I it just I should, probably should have brought a second pair of pants. It was frightening. <laughs> it was terrifying. So yeah.
2: Well, no, go ahead, go ahead and tell. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler. Here's a little spoiler. spoiler. Or we call it a teaser. Yeah.
3: So uh, w- one of the things we use um, is the the ghost box. Um, and, and we're doing a ghost box session down here, which there is what
0: for people that basically, don't. Basically,
3: it sweeps through AM/FM uh, stations, and the idea behind it is that if there was something out there that was trying to communicate with with us, it would take the words that it needed yeah, and randomly
0: it from different uh, broadcasts,
3: exactly, and then try and communicate through that way. And we've had varying success with it, um, and against all about context, but for this instance, we were we were doing a ghost box session and we were getting some very bizarre lines coming through. Like one of them was somebody in the distance yelling run, which is probably the most uneasy one I've heard during season one, at least. Um, and we turned the lights off. And this was an area that Paul felt weird about. I felt weird about, I believe Holly felt weird about this kind of back area of the basement. And as I had the lights off, Chelsea our sound person who's nearby listening, you know, getting the audio for us, she moves and then as soon as i look over to a pillar i see what i can only describe as almost this like mischievous kid hiding behind a pillar and the second i saw him he kind of like scooted out of the way so we turn the lights on and chelsea tells us yeah something just grabbed my leg i have no idea what it was
2: right and i was holding an emf meter and as that happened The EMF meter lit up, hadn't lit up at all while we had been in the basement, and I was holding it right in the general area that Dylan was looking at. So up it goes. So again, any one of those three things, I suppose, maybe you could rationalize them away, I guess. But here we have Dylan seeing something, Chelsea feeling something, uh, and me picking something up on the EMF meter, and we don't view these things as ghost detectors. No.
0: We view them as... That was one of my questions, actually how much artists? yeah how much do you trust that equipment is doing what you think it might be doing and it sounds like a lot of it is context like if you tell somebody that's not there that these things happened um I think that their inclination would be whatever their belief system is. Well, that's coincidence. Or, wow, that's a really, you know, that, that's a really good uh, indication that something's going on. How do you treat you know, these instruments and their readouts? Like if you get one-on-one on one and nothing on the others. Or if you're asking a question. For example, we were in the Queens County Museum, and Paul said, do you, who do you want to talk to this evening? Do you want to talk to Paul or Dylan or Greg or Micah or Ryan? And before, like right when he said Ryan, we heard the ghost, everybody thought they heard the ghost box say Micah. Now, is that because we all wanted to hear say Micah? Is that because Micah was the most animated person there and that's what everybody would imprint on? What is your model for what is, you know, what what is quote unquote real or significant?
2: Well, look, some things are pretty simple. So if you got a thermometer or a temperature gauge and you see it going up or down, that one's like... That's just science, folks. The temperature's going down. So that one, whatever's causing it to go down, is open for debate. But you can actually mm-hmm. say, cool, oh, temperature's going down. Right. I view, I view all of these devices, um, especially going in. I view the REM pod and the ghost box, especially the ghost box, with a massive Greenland-sized grain of salt. But my brother thought, in particular, I think it was Jim that said the ghost box would be really cool for television. Other shows use it, so let's take it. And I went, fine. Put it in the budget and we'll buy it. Turns out some of our best stuff uh, came from the ghost box. And I think for me, I really came around to saying and including it in all the gear and saying, these are just, if there is something out there, these are just tools that that something can use to let us know it's there. I mean, it theoretically i suppose it could drop a 747 on our heads that's flying overhead yep um you know i prefer the ghost box thanks <laughs> but it could use anything i could flip my car over in the parking lot if it's there whatever but these are just tools that i think allows it potentially or them or whatever to play with us or interact with us or uh, uh, mystify us or whatever and so that's how i look at all this stuff and again yes putting it in context so going back to the ghost box the Micah thing is interesting because if you're sweeping through all the radio frequencies, how how often is the name Micah gonna pop up on a radio station in Nova Scotia?
0: I, I honestly well, don't know. It was, know a, it was a part of a word. It just sounded like Micah like that, and you're just it could have been anything, but it sounded like Micah.
2: Right. To everybody, and there were a lot of people sitting in that room, and especially to Micah. You know, Micah heard it and he immediately thought it sounded like him. We had a couple of times. I did the same stunt during the show Mm -hmm. at a location called um, uh, Seaside uh, Community Center in Clarks Harbor, Nova Scotia, which is a really spooky place. And we were well into the show by then, and Holly and I were fighting, or at least feuding, over various things to do with ghost hunting, totally ghost hunting, blaming each other and stuff. It's that kind of show. And I just were sitting up there, all of us, and I said, okay, Dylan, Chelsea, Holly, Paul... Or Jim, which one do you want to talk to? Or did I say, which one do you like best?
3: Who You said the exact words were, who's your favorite?
2: Oh, right. Who's your favorite? I'm mixing two of them up here. And I swear, you'll see it on TV. It's like Holly. Yeah. And you can see Holly jump back. and I go, You can hear Dylan go, oh! and everybody, did that just say Holly? And Holly's like, yes, it just said Holly. And so where where does that come from? And again, it's in the context of what was happening that night, which was just a never ending sequence of truly weird events, a lot of which we all of which we couldn't explain um, auditory, physical. I mean, that's the episode where I literally get pushed yep. by something uh, on camera. And so folks can look at that and think one of two things. Either I faked it, or it really happened. Now, I think folks that know me know that i've got enough credibility built up over 20 years i'm not going to fake it and frankly there was enough cool stuff happening i didn't have to fake it even if i wanted to especially what happens before that right especially with the nazi stuff that happened before that it was a very trumpian episode so (laughs) i mean just really weird weird synchronistic stuff and then this happens. So there's physical, there's auditory. There was electronics gear cacking out. One of my personal favorites, Dylan. Here, Dylan, talk about batteries. <laughs> Love batteries because in those sure. cases we had some of these problems too. And it's important. Oh
0: yeah, Oz people, Factor battery thing. Yeah. Right. So it's important for people to remember two things here,
2: as Dylan tells these stories. One, uh, we are trained professionals. I've got 20 years' experience. <laughs> Dylan's been educated in this. He's been doing it for four or five years, award-winning music video director, blah, blah, blah. We know what we're doing with all this gear. And two, really important, we bought really expensive gear. Like, this is really sort of high-end stuff here. And so it, it shouldn't – and it still works and it hasn't been failing. So, Dylan, talk a bit about the batteries because that's one of those things. And, again, let's, let's contextualize it to Seaside because yeah. we've been talking about it and what happened there because we can't explain it. Well, uh, just to add to the point of the gear, I've always seen...
3: It depends on what gear you're talking about. The REM pod I've always seen as a bit of a starting point where if if the REM pod goes off... And and you'll have to explain
0: what that piece of equipment is too as well. I'm afraid. As you go through them, maybe you can explain what they are.
3: Absolutely. So the REM pod, uh, basically it's all about... um, Well, there's two kind of things it does. It's almost this like... uh, hockey puck shaped thing with an antenna on it and the idea in the kind of simplest of terms is that if something were to stand next to it like very close to it um it would it would beep so there's four colors on it and it would beep in the direction that whatever is standing next to it uh it would show you hey there's something here um so if i were to stand by it um it would go off in my direction if no one's around and it goes off
0: yeah how does it do so, that? Does it detect a change in – if somebody's if something – my idea was that if there's a change in air pressure, like something – because when I waved my hand over it, it would go bloop because I figured I was changing the air pressure around it. Right. So uh, there's two kind of parts to this. There's,
3: one is, is temperature, um, and that's the one that you actually experienced when we were there uh, with kind of the Tony's yeah, connection. We'll, we'll talk about where, that. Sure. Um, where if it gets colder in the room, it will be blue. Uh, and if it gets warmer, it'll be red. It usually doesn't stay static and and keep going, which it did for us. Um,
2: So there's temperature as well as... uh, Well, the the general idea is that it generates, and, you know, who knows, um, but it has this sort of mini antenna that radiates its own independent... Magnetic field around the instrument. Oh,
0: I see. If there's a break in the magnetic field by something moving through it, it detects that. That, that detects the lowering of the uh, or the increase exactly. of the resistance, I suppose.
2: Yes. And you know, your your electronic gear will set it off too. So if you're standing next to it with a, a
0: siren, all right, you've got a si- you've got a siren, so that 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 helps. Uh, I could
2: just stopped up <laughs> the house. Oh,
0: um, you
2: know, if you have a walkie-talkie or any really any electronic gear around it, it'll set it off too. So. But, yeah, that's the theory behind, you know, the scientific device known as the Remod. Yeah. Pod. yeah. And so, I interrupted
0: you to explain the the thing, so please go ahead, Dylan.
2: No, no worries. So a lot of that stuff I've
3: always kind of – and I, I can't speak for Holly or Paul, but I've always seen it as, okay, that's that's part one. Something is weird in this room. Let's see what else we can find. And, and like you guys have both said, context, context, context. Without context, we've never taken like, oh – in this room where nothing's happened, we heard something out of the ghost box. Let's take that as face value. Right. It's always this kind of baseline building idea that we're using these tools. And they are not ghost-detecting devices, at least not that we know
2: of. <laughs> well, they might detect ghosts, I guess, because the ghosts choose to interact with you. But then, the, you know, it leaves the question, what is a ghost? Sure. And every, you know, most people tend to think, oh, it's dead grandma or something. And we don't go down that road. We consider it. But, you know, it could be a whole host of other things. Yeah. Yeah. So,
3: uh, yeah, just a sidebar on that. So the seaside stuff that we were talking about with the batteries and stuff. Right. So uh, basically a rundown of, of my setup is I have a Blackmagic uh, production camera.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And to, to use that, I need what's called a V-mount battery. And we have three of those. And they're charged every night because um, I'm a charge of everything and they usually can last me five to six hours per shoot, and that's why we have three of them. So we get to Seaside, and we're shooting probably a couple of hours into our investigation, and all of a sudden my V mount, my first V-mount dies. Okay, that's weird. So I take it off, I replace it with a new one, I check because they actually have a lighting indicator on it to tell you, is it 25%, 50, 75, or 100? Mm-hmm. They were all 100. Yep. So I put the second one on, I go to record, and it gives me five minutes and it conks out. It's so like, that's bizarre. Maybe something's wrong with the battery. So we take it out, and as I'm putting the third one in, all of Chelsea's audio batteries go dead. And they're like, okay, something's, something's weird. This doesn't make any sense. As we're discussing the battery situation, all of our walkie-talkies set off the alarm system. Every walkie-talkie has an alarm button. And if you press it, it'll go through every channel, this kind of ringing. We have on camera showing not a single person is touching a walkie talkie in any way, shape or form. And what I thought was interesting about all that, and it's actually a theory that my sister had, my sister's 15, uh-huh. um, was immediately after that. We're all having this loud discussion and we're at a place that's about three stories. Yeah, three stories tall, three and a half because they have the attic The an attic is kind of an add on to the third story. I hear this jangling. That sounds like uh, almost like, you know, keys wiggling. Like, what the hell is that? So we we go upstairs and we realize that it's the top attic uh, door that we've locked and sealed shut. And we jiggled it from the inside out. And it was the exact same noise I heard. So it's just this this kind of building of things going on. And, and we've tried the battery since because that was water. Eighth location, maybe. What's a V mount battery cost? I can't Ah, remember. Hundreds?
2: Yeah, like they're very, I mean, cost a lot of money. So putting my producer hat on, when somebody in my crew tells me that our batteries aren't working, if they're a couple of double A's that we bought at Walmart, don't care. Yeah. Um, If they're V-mount batteries, yeah, I do care. Uh, So do we have defective batteries? Turns out, no, we don't. Work perfectly fine pretty much everywhere else. Well, I I just
3: directed a feature-length film. Right. And we used nothing but VMAP batteries and we didn't have a single problem. Yeah. And we shot it's I think three more episodes after that episode, mm-hmm. we didn't have a problem. Yeah, was I was gonna only, say, I mean,
0: did did they start working after that? Yeah, yeah. they did. And, and perfectly fine weird. and never another problem.
3: Exactly. And and I know some people could say, well, maybe you just forgot to charge them. Fair enough. I swear on my grandfather's grave, <laughs> I did not forget to charge them. As Paul knows, I'm usually the last one to go to sleep because I'm up charging the batteries. (laughs) Funny
2: thing. Two things. Why do I consider Dylan the Anakin to my Obi-Wan? Because we're both anal retentive. We're very much – we have similar (laughs) Jedi qualities. Uh, We're very anal retentive about all these kinds of things. We're professionals. But here's the other – It's a
0: routine because otherwise you're going to waste a a shit ton of money on the next day's production because you can't do it. Exactly. But we shot
2: two episodes back-to-back down there, one in Barrington – one in uh, Clarks Harbor, which was Seaside. We did Barrington first. Here's the thing. So we finish up Barrington. We come back. Now, I think I have the timeline right, Dylan. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're staying in a house in Yarmouth. Yep. Was that the night with the demon? (laughs) Where you wound up staying up all night in the equipment room working anyway? Yes. So Dylan actually didn't really sleep the night before. He had nothing to do but charge batteries because he was sort of – assaulted or whatever by a demon in his room and he wouldn't sleep there thanks to Holly who sent the demon to him, which, Holly's not here to defend herself, and by defend I mean make excuses, which is what she does. All the-
0: Is she listening? So, she's pro- if she is, she's probably throwing things right
2: now. She could be. Feel free to call in, Holly, because Dylan and I can tell the truth now, which is, Holly saw something in a room in Yarmouth. We weren't even filming in this place. This is where we were staying. Which she described as darker than dark. Yes. which Shadow. I've, which she's run into back in ghost cases. Uh, we had yes. something like that happen. Yeah, At other, other end,
0: people so I've it. interviewed about this kind of stuff say, yeah, the, the darker than dark uh, uh, shadow that goes through. Actually, this is so described me... by a guy that told me that you can uh, call up uh, alien-type stuff, and he said that's, some people have seen that too. Anyway, go ahead. Perfect. so. Let
2: me... Let me ask you a question, Greg, because you're an independent, neutral arbiter, and you're a decent human being. So you're in this Maybe. room, and you've got four friends and co-workers in other rooms, and you see this thing that is frightening. What do you do?
0: <laughs> I run in the other room and tell people there's something screwy in my room, and I'm not staying in there.
2: You think so, right? Thank you. I'm thinking that 99.99999% of the 200 billion Brazilians alive who are listening to this would have the exact same... <laughs> Uh that's billions with a b folks, yeah, it's an in joke here. um, would have the exact same reaction
0: you keep using that, you're gonna have to explain it uh yeah, I will later, okay, go ahead um
2: so Holly's in at point zero 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 point one percent or one percent of people who are sith like evil that when that happens, <laughs> even though we're not on camera, we're not working. We're just, take, you know, it's days over. Got to sleep. What does Holly do, Dylan?
3: Well, she decides to experiment. And through her words, she wanted to know if something was weird in the house from another point of view where, you know, she doesn't say, hey, I'm going to try this. Let me know if something happens. She decided to send whatever it was that was in her room over across the hall because me and her were directly across from each other. And she sent it to my room. And we had stayed there one night before this. Mm-hmm and i was fine it was a very comfortable room it was nice i had a good sleep lovely house big old sea captain's mansion so just for context i think we were there another 4 nights total yes. split up between two trips i did not sleep in that house i could not sleep in that house because for some reason the second night i noticed a very unnerving shape and sight in the basically the the bathroom
2: area of my room um, which he could see from his bed. Yes. So his what, bed moving or? Well, it's important to know where the bed is. So the bed is, you know, he's lying on the bed. He's looking at the wall, but then he's looking in through the door to the bathroom, and he can see the shower, which has a glass
3: a glass pane on it.
2: Right.
3: So basically, what it is is has got the glass pane on it, and then behind it, you've got a little bit of reflective rock tiling. And uh, again, didn't see this first night, but the second night I had all the lights off. I looked over and I I just felt for some reason super uneasy about being in the room. Hadn't happened before. And the timeline works pretty well with when uh, Holly was having the same feeling. So I look over and and this is going to sound so foolish, but I again, swear to God, this is what I saw. Basically, the shape of two eyes with a red hue, which is always a good start to seeing something in the dark. Great. Yeah, the shape of a face, but a little bit of a longer face, like not quite human, and basically what looked like dark horns on the top of it. And I was like, okay, that's weird. So I thought, okay, it's a, it's a pane of glass and it's reflective rock. Something is reflecting somewhere. So I tried every single way. I could turning on lights, off lights, turning, closing off the windows, everything, and it was just there, and I couldn't get rid of it.
0: What, was this with, was, like, turning lights on? Yeah. Well, mean, like, like, there, like, you were uh, saying, saying there and going, what the hell is that? Did The first thing I would do is jump up and turn on the lights to see if it was still there.
3: I stared at it for about five minutes, almost frozen in fear. But then I did exactly what you just said. I stood up, turned on all the lights. I was like, "Okay, what? That's really weird because I can still kind of see it. The weirdest part, though, is that uh, one, the red eyes, a little little freaky, a little bizarre. That was about two days. And then we left to go to Halifax because we had other places to shoot. We came back for two more episodes in in the South Shore area. Guess what wasn't there? That face, those eyes, that shape. I couldn't find it again the second time I was there.
0: Did you go I in there quite... in the dark to see if it what what was there?
3: Yeah, we tried. A bit of this is on camera. I don't know if it'll ever make the show, but we kind of put up an experiment to see
0: mm-hmm.
3: what would happen. We actually had a closed-circuit television in my room that night um, to see if...
0: Nothing happened, happened,
3: right? And nothing was there. I didn't feel quite as uneasy as I did the first time. Uh, but it was it's just this very bizarre...
2: And you thing. know what? I got the timeline wrong. So the Eman incident, as we call it, happened after we were in Yarmouth. Yes, it was the Yarmouth jail, which is important. And it was when we went back down to the South Shore uh, to do Barrington and Seaside that we finally Holly fessed up to it because mm-hmm. you were out of sorts in the house, and it's like. And then she said, "I think I should." Re-, she came to me, I think, and said, "Do you think I should tell Dylan?" tell Dylan what? this, And then she said, I said, all right, A, you're evil, and B, yeah, you should probably go tell him. Poor kid's in his room, who knows what he's thinking. But the reason why it's important that i had screwed up the timeline, Dylan was still up, so the point was whenever we were in this house, he really wasn't sleeping, so I had plenty of time to charge the batteries. But the Yarmouth jail thing, that's when I thought I had released a prisoner in the basement (laughs) of the jail, and I thought I was being a good guy. And it turns out when Dylan, I think I spoke to uh, about this on your show before greg when he sent me the screen capture the footage log because he would log yeah th- literally thousands and thousands of clips audio and video and he circled the one it's like paul releases demon in basement is what he tagged it as <laughs> and i didn't know why I, I it's not demon it was a prisoner that i set free or whatever and then you see it's 6.66 gigabytes our only file of thousands of files yep yeah paul hits.
0: showed it's me that the list of files
2: yeah. Right. And yeah. so it was that night after we left Yarmouth jail and went back to the house that Holly saw the blacker than black and then sent it over to Dylan's room. Yep. And Dylan didn't tell us. Good employee that he is. He just kind of did all this and then went down and and sort of hung out in the gear room downstairs which had a couch which was very comfortable which was where I stayed for most of that time. And no demons and you know charged the batteries and everything. And so the same thing was going on. We did Barrington. We did Seaside. He wasn't sleeping, made sure the batteries were charged. But it was when we went back the second time that we had the, the sort of contretemps between all of us. And so when you see the beginning of Seaside episode, which we did Barrington first, went home, that's when Holly fessed up. We were back at, when I say home, the sea captain's mansion in Yarmouth. Then we talked to Dylan and we set up all our gear to try and monitor it. Seaside was the next night. And, uh, we were all really on edge and when the episode starts it's basically a hard you know cut right in yeah where i spend 30 seconds narrating about hey we're in clark's harbor and then boom dylan and paul and holly throwing down for about seven minutes <laughs> on camera where we're it's like a three-way mexican standoff in the good the bad and the ugly <laughs> and to be fair dylan's definitely the good in this uh because i had my own thing You know, and Holly trying to avoid blame and push blame off and say, somehow this is all your fault, Paul. And a little bit of it was. Uh, But never once. I mean, I love Holly. Holly's awesome. (laughs) But she has never once come to grips with the fact that something she saw something that was could only be bad. Mm -hmm. And she said her first reaction was to send it across the hall. To Dylan, so we now have a new rule, which is nobody sleeps across the hall from Holly. <laughs> See, it, it's a
3: good, it's a good analogy: the good, the bad, the ugly. Because I, if I'm the good, I, I leave Van Cleef. No, you hear me, hear me out on this. I think you're the ugly. Oh, because at the very least, <laughs> the ugly was honest when he needed to be. That's true. The bad was not. The bad.
2: Yes. Yeah.
3: She's Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to take that away from you,
2: but no, I, I get there, to be. I get to be Eli Wallach. That's a
3: pretty good
4: second
0: place. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah, Eli Wallach rules, especially in that role. Uh, There's two questions from listeners. One is, does Holly make these entities do her bidding from Jeff? (laughs) Yes.
3: (laughs) I I, I definitely can't say no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the second from Phil said, I'm not a demonologist nor a very good Christian, but where does it say in the Bible or anywhere else that demons have horns or red eyes? My, I, I will let you an, you guys answer that first. And then I got my own idea about it.
2: So here's my idea. And then I'll let Dylan go. Um, uh, if there is such a thing as a demon, it can look, I assume, like whatever it thinks it should look like or whatever. It, so in now, Dylan can answer this. I don't know what Dylan's perception of what a demon looks like. But forget the Bible in popular culture and our own modern mythology, our perception of what demons look like is pretty clear. You know, the horns and the red eyes and if you could see the feet, hooves and a tail and a pitchfork or variations of that element or those elements. So not necessarily saying it it was even a demon, but it could have manifested itself in Dylan's pulling something out of Dylan's mind. Like that Star Trek episode, I use this example a lot where the two aliens pull stuff out of Kirk's mind and the next thing you know, they're in a giant castle with a couple of wizards because that's what he was thinking of. So there may well be an element of that which means it might not be a demon although it could be a demon and the, you know demons can present themselves if such things exist and I'm not saying they are but if they do one would think that they could present themselves in myriad ways and largely and you and Greg and I have talked about this for years in public same thing with UFOs and any of this stuff the idea that whatever's out there is presenting itself to us in varying ways over a series of years depending on who you are so that's my idea on it. Dylan's idea might be, yeah, it's just a demon, man. <laughs> it's just a plus. I don't know.
3: But now, now, nothing came out at me and said, "Hello, I'm a demon. I'll be in your bathroom for the next two <laughs> days," um, which would have been nice because I would have known. If pa- Paul had a very, um, a very good analogy in the first episode of the show, where he talks about this trickster-like element, um, you know, we all thought that maybe something was toying with us. And Paul used the, you know, why do we use lasers with a cat? You know, it's fun for a while, and we're just messing with them. The way I see this is that if a demon, and I use the term loosely because I have no idea what this is, if if a demon is trying to get a kick out of whoever his victim is or whatever, and, you know, if if I'm playing with a cat with a laser and the cat's just sleeping, I'm probably going to stop with that laser. So maybe the laser for Holly was this darker than dark matter where the laser for me was this very stereotypical idea of what a demon would look like. So if there is something out there it was trying to get energy from me and it saw me squirming once I saw the red eyes, you know, maybe that was like okay cool I'm going to run with this. You know, I don't know. That's that's the only theory that I can kind of throw out there.
2: Yeah. Right. So, you know, we don't want to get into a deeply theological argument. Uh, about the nature of demons and how they yeah. appear. Yeah. No. Enemy. Well,
0: I, I, we will get into a deeply you know, philosophical argument about what might be going on here, but that, that's a little later. In the, I'm saving these questions. Go ahead, Paul.
2: Right. And so we use it as we say demon as shorthand. Yes. Um, and it could be a demon. I have friends who are ex. You know, they do exorcisms. They're real ministers and studied it and, and occasionally have performed them. That stuff still goes on. People certainly still believe in that stuff and maybe it's possibly true. My thing would be what does demon mean? Well demon I think it's safe to say nobody really ever assumes demons are good things if they exist. You know they are the darkness to the light that would be god or angels or whatever. So um when something like this happens I'm not prepared to say that what we're dealing with if we're dealing with anything is evil or means us ill intent. I just start to begin to think that it's at least as likely as not that that is the case. So then you're into questions of motivation uh, and using the cat analogy. Well, I don't, you know, I don't mean for the cat to continually jump up against the window and brain itself, but you know, there are bad people around, you know, just like tormenting animals. Not all human beings are nice. So maybe, you know, Mac Tony's used to play with his cats with a laser and he meant it in a playful way. Cool. There are other humans that probably play with their cats and would mean it in a not playful way or could get violent. and so we could be you just never know I guess the takeaway is you kind of never know what you're dealing with, but the effect that it had on Dylan and also Holly, who was um, you know really weirded out by this, uh, I think was was interesting and certainly not one that you would say, well, they mean us all happiness and light. And this is spiritually uplifting. Uh, we, I don't think we ever had any of those experiences, did we? Uh, we had some masked
3: as something else. I don't think it ever, at the end of it, we were never like, oh, yeah, that was a totally heavy experience. Right. A lot of the times we end up having this like, oh, this feels nice. And then, wait, now I feel really uneasy. What the hell just happened?
2: Yes. So misleading, too. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, an NFL running back who jukes left and then fakes you out of your shoes and then goes right. Yeah, there. This, this yeah. is
0: this is something I haven't heard from you. Could you please explain what you mean by uh this this fake out thing?
2: Well, or the change uh, sure
0: from something you think is either neutral or negative to something positive or whatever. What you just described. How about an example or two of that?
2: Let let me I'll, I think I hear your sirens. Yeah, I'll let I do know. have sirens because <laughs> he came up with it but I will say two words and anyone who knows this movie and I do not mean the Nicolas Cage abomination Wicker Man that you can be misdirected and um, sent on errands and believe that you're doing good things mm-hmm. and you're even that you're winning and then suddenly you find yourself sitting in a fiery Wicker Man uh, spoiler for those that haven't seen the film um, and in the Nicolas Cage version wearing a helmet of bees Oh, that's terrible. Uh, but that idea that, you know, it can lead you down this path. And if it's, oh, I thought I said I'd let Dylan explain. Well, here's my idea. If it's pulling energy, if and Dylan's sister had this notion that these things take energy from us. Yeah, um, All kinds of energy is good energy, but... If you want to scare somebody or if you really want to flip the switch on them, make them believe one thing. Make them believe it's all working out. Mm-hmm. Any good movie maker will tell you this. The greatest despair in a story comes when you think you've, your character has escaped. And then they realize they haven't escaped. Yeah. And they're still stuck there. And that, Or that they're confronting overwhelming odds or whatever. And there's a lot of movies that have made a lot of great dramatic moments off of that. So I think maybe we confronted some of that too where – you know, Oh, well, this is actually going pretty good. Boom. Uh, Queens County museum being a good example where I started up. Yeah. Oh, I think I might be talking to my old friend, Mac Tony's or at least something pretending to be Mac. And that's fun. And then by the end of the night, Hey, Holly. Oh. And you know, she ran into something that was not friendly. And that was kind of like the punchline. Yeah. Oh. And, and
3: there's a moment. And I, and again, I don't know if this made the show cause I, I shot everything, but I haven't seen the edits yet. Obviously. Um, there was a moment in the Barrington uh, Western Military Museum. Yeah. that what it's called? Uh, and it, it, the, the military museum was very close. It was actually one street off of where I grew up. Um, and it's where my grandmother lived and where my grandf- grandmother uh, basically all her life. And then she passed away, I want to say 2005. Uh, what, one of the things that was kind of hauling me into this room that we were at was this oddly – familiar deja vu feeling that i kind of related to her and then we had a couple of things happen with the ghost box that matched up to her and then things just felt really uneasy for everybody in the room and it was just this almost like and this is going to be dark but it's the only thing that i can think of it's like free candy on the side of a white van you know what i mean whoa i know it's it's that's a really weird analogy but it's this uh, hey i've got something good and then when you get over there, it's like, oh, this isn't good. Right. It's this very almost trap-like scenario. And I kind of – the moment in Seaside, too, where I said I, I heard the jingling of the, the door, I was the only person to hear that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's on audio. You can hear it, but none of you guys heard it. I heard it for some reason. And then when I got up there, we all got scared. and Everything started really almost falling down at that point, not literally. Well, I guess in Paul's, Paul's case, literally. And the doll. And the doll. Literally. And we had a doll fall over a couple of times. It's this weird kind of sensation of familiarity and comfort that the second you kind of start thinking to yourself, wait, what if this isn't what I think it is? It almost seems to be – and I say it, we're theorizing. Again, I don't know what this is, but
0: – Right. Good attitude, it seems, actually.
3: Yeah. It, it almost seems like it gets angry. It's like, oh well, you're not gonna play my games. I'm not gonna let you play games with me.
2: Right. And so it's like every horror film ever made. Dracula doesn't show up in the first minute and go, "Hi, I'm Dracula, a vampire. I'm going to kill you all. Ha ha ha." <laughs> yeah. You know, Dracula sucks Renfield in. Sucks. Um, oh, David Manners' his character. This uh, is terrible. I can't remember. Um, Sorry. The, the lawyer. What's the name of the lawyer? Greg.
0: Don't and know. Dracula. All I remember. All I remember is Renfield um, uh, from the classic. Uh, of, yeah, exactly. Or you know, any anyway, of his victims yeah. that just become you know kind of willing after a while.
2: Harker, Jonathan Harker. That's it. So that's Parker, it. Thank you. Harker goes to the castle and and do, Dracula makes him at home and everything, and then he springs the trap on him. And then he travels, and he's so he always makes everybody feel comfortable, and then. Now I'm going to let you know I'm a vampire, Lucy, as he shows up in her bedroom at night. Or, Harker, now that you're in my castle, you're trapped. So it's always about that that idea of maybe like a Venus flytrap. Yeah. Yes, look, come on in. Or Walter Bosley will like this, a honey trap. You show up at a bar and you're a spy. And there's a really good-looking woman sitting at the bar and she chats you up. And the next thing you know, she's stolen every, th- every secret you have from your computer and uh, tied you up in the closet or something. Yeah. And uh, that idea of, of using something attractive, alluring, whether it's a person or a thought or an idea, and then it sucks you in. And then the next thing you know, you realize you're sort of stuck on the fifth level of hell yeah. or something. Uh, so you, you, a lot of the time going through Haunted, it did, it did seem like that was happening to us. Yeah. Um, and I can think of more than one episode. And I hadn't thought of it this way. So Dylan's just kind of tweaked this in my mind. Yeah, we were sometimes being like, hey, there's the trail of breadcrumbs or candy. Ooh, this is tasty. Zingy zaps. And the next thing you know, you're at the Wicked Witch's house or whatever.
3: And it's sometimes, a, the the weird thing was that it sometimes presented itself to one single person of the group. Right. So that was interesting. Because if I have experience where I'm thinking about my grandmother in, in this area, you're not going to be having that same thought. Holly's not going to be having that same thought. It, yeah, it's very, a very
0: personal exactly. thing to you, which is uh, something exactly. – that's an aspect of the paranormal people don't really know about. Something has to have a – so, when something has a personal connection to you, it seems to be more efficacious or whatever. It works better for that person.
3: Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, exactly.
0: I uh, One of the uh, – Phil again asked, um, you know, do you think it's – that a lot of this could be our preconceptions in a feedback loop? And I said, well, what's your idea that there's nothing to precipitate the event? He said, maybe or maybe not. Uh, if there's an external force capable of setting up a feedback loop, it might also be possible we can do the feedback loop all by ourselves. So, my question on that is how much of this do you think is external to you, like some force is causing it, which it sounds like you do in many of the cases? And how much of this is, you know, I think I'm just getting too excited and you know, what checks do you have on yourself for that kind of thing and what convinces you that there is an external thing going on? And I I, I pretty much know the answer because I've experienced some of it, but please explain to people.
3: I think for me it's it's not to sound like a broken record. It's it's context to what's happening around me. I tend not to get that overexcited about a lot of these things. I I throw away a lot of stuff because it's, it's too small or just like, I don't know. I I can probably explain that away. It's the, it's the one or or two or three moments that I've been doing this. And I haven't been doing this very long. We do this for a couple of months that I can, that something happens to me that kind of lines up with, you know, what Holly did with the darker than dark shadow or whatever. something maybe Paul does that he doesn't tell me about until four days later, Paul, um, (laughs) stuff that kind of just builds upon an existing kind of baseline of what I went through that matches up with something that somebody else went through on a completely different plane. And again, I'm I'm the kind of person that is open to, well, let's talk about this. I mean, me and Holly have talked probably over a hundred hours just on on one thing that happened during the show because we like theorizing, trying to figure out, oh, what is this? I think a lot of it I When I realize that I'm getting overexcited about something, I will usually shut it down. I think Paul can probably agree on this, that um, if I'm getting myself too much in a personal bubble, I'll remove myself from that. I'll say, okay, I know what I felt. I'm going to let these guys do whatever they're going to do and then see if anything lines up. And if it doesn't, I just kind of move on. So I I try to be aware... As much as I can, if I'm getting too deep or too overexcited and too stuck on one plane of existence, because I don't like, I don't like being so, in one, you know, in one dugout. I like kind of watching from the stands, seeing what both teams are doing, and saying, okay, cool. Yeah. What does that? Mean? I,
2: I like Carlos's theory on all this, which is that it's bored teenage demons.
0: Oh, you're wa- you're watching by... the uh, thing too. Good. The chat. Right? Yeah, I just look, uh, getting their
2: kicks by scaring, baffling. So that that's as good a theory as any. I like, like that one. <laughs> hey, here we are on the third level of hell. What are you doing tonight, Grog? Grog? I don't know, Blicklock. Let's uh, let's go up to the seaside community center and uh, I hear that Dylan Garvin screw here.
0: with the, ha- uh, the the ghost cases, people. Yeah, I mean, sorry, with know, the haunted Frank, crew.
2: Frank, the demon from the fifth level, you know, kind of told us about that kid. He's we can we can mess <laughs> around with him. Let's go. And there's a demon named Frank well of course there is there's,
3: <laughs> well there's Glorblog, Blickblock and Frank, Frank. Exactly. Yeah, I like
2: that those are the big three demons um, they, they overthrew Mephistopheles about 3,000 years ago so the bible just hasn't caught up to that, or Gog or Magog or whatever I like that. I, you know for me it's all it's the same check and I think uh, Holly may be listening because I know she's still awake She left the she liked one of my Facebook posts so I know she's out there in the ether she's in Vancouver right now so she's in the <laughs> right time zone too so Holly, if you're just tuning in now, hey, cool! And if you tuned in now, I, st- I still blame you. Yeah, we still blame you. Go there's to go things. to
0: the RowdyMysterioso.com page, Holly, and start and start letting letting your fingers fly on the on the chat uh, room thing down the right side of the uh, right under the Spider Man. There's a there's a chat room. Okay,
2: you <laughs> you definitely unleashed a demon yourself. <laughs> put her face paint on and be the demon, Holly, coming from Vancouver. But for me, there's just – even with all the things that I've experienced over the years, um, there's always something in the back of my head that still says, yeah, you know what? This can't actually be happening. This can't be happening. It does, you know, That's not as pronounced as it used to be. Now there's another thing is switched my head going, hey, stupid. Yes, this is happening.
0: That like, was one seriously. of my questions for you, Paul. Ten years ago, even maybe even five years ago, what I saw that happened, and we'll talk about the Queens County when we were there because I was there for that and I wouldn't want to talk about it. And I think we already talked about it a little bit on the other show that we did right after. But um, mm-hmm. the Paul of five or ten years ago would not put up with a lot of the Paul of right now. Is that a fair thing to say uh, with regards <laughs> to this stuff?
2: In so many ways. Oh, wait, sorry, in regards to this stuff, I thought you were talking about life in general.
0: Yeah, yeah that too. But we're talking about that. We're talking about uh, the uh, haunted and, and uh, the, the work you're doing with that and that area of the paranormal. 10
2: years ago, absolutely. A couple of things happened since then. One, I did ghost cases. Two, I started hanging out more with, well, even before that, Mac and you and Nick and Bosley and, uh, and even Go Rightly and other people started reading more and talking to people more and stuff like that, uh, you know, and, and becoming less closed off in my own background. My grandfather was a Reformed Baptist minister. You know, I I, I studied uh, evangelical religious history when I was uh, in graduate school. I mean, I had all of this stuff in my background. It's just the resistance against Anything that might be supernatural or beyond, you know, the pure science and the physical world in which we live, blah, blah, blah. Except maybe space aliens, because you could still rationalize that as pure science, right? They're just incredibly more scientifically advanced, and they somehow make their way here. Fine. But when you put yourself out there, I can give you two examples of when things change for me. Uh, And neither one of them happened during ghost cases. Lots of weird stuff in ghost cases. But when ghost cases was over, Holly and I were in England... I still had, I'd been strangled, as I like to say, in a jail cell by a a shadow person or whatever, all sorts of weird stuff. And I still had a bit of the the shell, the shield. And then Holly and I took a vacation in Europe, and and I wound up in Chesky Krumlov. And I I write about this in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, there is no other way to put this. On empty streets, I was stalked by a shadow thing. And on a bridge, actually, weirdly enough, right under a statue of Jesus, I'm pretty sure it's a statue of Jesus. Uh, I had this um, something grab me by the shoulder. And it was, you know, I'd been followed by something. And uh, and sort of I spun around and there was nothing there. And then I ran through town back to the wizard's mansion where Holly and I were staying. And it really was a wizard's castle. Um, and then, you know, the next day I look at graffiti on the wall in the town and I see something that it's this weird creature. And I put a picture in my book. That's weird. Why is this on the wall? I hadn't noticed this before. And in the eye of the creature, it only has one eye. It looks like a, a figure and like a head and shoulders. And it kind of looks like the shadow I'd seen the night before. And so then Holly and I go to this bar, appropriately named the Horror Bar, and, with only one R. Or, and it's in the basement and there's a coffin in it. And I mean, it's just a, it's a cool place. And so the waitress comes over and I, fun story, I say, so what time do you close? And she says, well, whenever the last, and, you know, broken English, well, whenever the last customer wants to leave, awesome, Holly, we've found the greatest bar on earth. We are staying here until 10 in the morning, which more or, <laughs> or less we did. But when I went up to order, she's very pretty, and, and Holly said, well, you should go talk to her. And I went, yeah, sure, I should. So I went up and talked to her at the bar. And she said, oh, why are you in enta- town? Oh, you're from the United States. I went, no, Canada. she was very apologetic. And she says, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to mix you up with Americans. I said, no, 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 it's all cool. And uh, we, like, we like Canadians. She did. She was very apologetic. She said, We like Canadians here. Um, you know, we just understand that if we confuse them with Americans, Canadians can get a little upset. And I went, No, no, I'm cool. We're all cool. And I she said, What are you here for? And said, Well, we, we're vacationing. We just got off shooting a ghost series. And she went, Ooh. And I said, Oh. Um, you're interested in ghosts and I mean this took place in broken English and broken check mostly broken English Yeah, uh, because my check wasn't very good and and she she said well, yes strange things and I'm kind of paraphrasing from memory. I said oh strange things like you know Like last night and I kind of just I didn't even tell Holly Ollie had to read about this in the book years later but I sort of said you know like um, yeah, last night I thought I saw uh, like a shadow. I didn't tell her the whole story. I said, I thought I saw something shadowy in the town square. And she just immediately clammed up. And this look of fear came over her face. And she said, yes, the shadows. You have to be very careful here at night. And I go, she, you know, the two beers sitting in front of me. And I go, why isn't that posted on the sign when I walked into town? <laughs> <you come laughs> UNESCO World Heritage Site, P.S., Late at night, watch out for the shadows when you're walking through the streets alone. Oh, that that invites got, the
0: wrong kind of guests there, I think.
2: Yeah, you really need to put that on your tourist brochures. <laughs> um, so, you know, and the, she was still friendly for the rest of the night, but she said, yeah, we do, we do not like to talk about this much. And, and I thought, I'm in a Dracula movie. I literally just showed up in a 19th century town in Romania, and they're all closing the shutters, and nobody told me. Like, hey, who's the guy from the This is not
0: something we talk about, yeah.
2: No, but, you know, hopefully the vampire will take him tonight and spare our children for another two weeks. (laughs) So, so, yeah, that that experience, uh, totally, you just, like... Yeah, it took me a couple of years to process it and then finally agree to write about it because I didn't want to admit it. Because you know what I become as soon as I tell that story? I become an experiencer, whatever that means. Right. And I'd always liked, even in ghost cases, I kept that resolve of somebody who was, yes, experiencing stuff, but still doing it kind of in a detached way. And that got blown out of the water in Chesky Krumlov. The other uh, thing that sort of really changed, it's funny, was on Radio Mysterioso, partly, and it was that wave of synchronicities I experienced oh, yes. when I visited you in 2011. And again, wrote about it in my book, too, which just culminated in, we all know Veronica Reynolds, we've all met her, yeah. um, just culminated in me walking up a sidewalk in uh, uh, Hollywood, in Hollywood. Yeah. La Brea, I guess. And I never, like, why would I walk up there? And there's no reason why I would have walked up that street. I just picked that street that day. And I was with my friend Ben Stevens, who's Holly's brother. And we stop outside of uh, Henson Studios. And there's a giant statue of Kermit the Frog on the gate. And I'm notorious for doing my Kermit the Frog impression. And of all the people on the planet, honestly, Veronica's the one. She's asked me in bars to do it in front of her friends. Loves my Kermit the Frog impression. Just, I can't stress enough. She's in a league of her own and liking my Kermit thing. And so I look up, I see Kermit the Frog, and I sort of go... And then I looked down and literally at my feet, carved into the cement that somebody had obviously done when the thing was being poured, is a name. And I put the picture. I had to take a picture. I put the picture in the book. And the name is Veronica. And, like, so that was the, sort of at
0: the back end of And all that's just scenes. one thing. That the right. like, oh, you know, coincidence.
2: No, it was a ton of things. And I had a number of them on your show. We live broadcast a series of synchronicities where Walter and I went nuts. Like we were just almost as if we're summoning them from the ether as as I'm reading. What was it? John, you you guys are starting to worry me. Yes. Yes. Fante's 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 book after the dusk. Is that it? Ask the dust. Ask the dust. Right. It's almost like we were asking the dust and I'm just pulling random passages and Walter's going and we're going to the baseball game you and I went to with the nines and you start to see how you can go mad Mm -hmm. if you, go too far in. And so you said something that prevented me from going mad, which is, you know, this idea that it's always there. I think I get this right. It's always there. Sometimes you can just tune into it for a period of time or it it presents itself to you. And so I really think that there is something out there. And that for that three week period, I, I tuned into it. And then, you know, I came home and I, I stopped tuning into it. But I had time to think about it. And it literally started in the airport here in Halifax. Sorry, in Chicago. I was on a layover um, flying out there. And it continued pretty much right until I got home. But once you see a few, then you start looking and you notice them. And you notice the weirdness of it all. And I can see how if you went too far down the rabbit hole, it would drive you nuts. But I didn't. But those two things, uh, strangely enough, were the two things that really sort of changed me into the Paul I am today which is, you know, a lot more open-minded. And, uh, yeah, the me of 10 years ago would have written some very interesting columns about the me of today. I don't think quite as bad, because I still have that skepticism. There's still some of that there. And, you know what, the me of 10 years ago would know that the me of today is still honest, and I'm not lying, which was my biggest complaint. So I would have said, this guy has a history of being uh, credible and, you know, was serious and honest and everything. So if he's telling me this stuff... I might not believe it, but at least I believe he's telling the truth as he sees it, Yeah. Um, as he experienced it. So I probably would have been uh, less harsh on me than I was, say, on James Fox during Chasing UFOs or something. But still, yeah, the me of 10 years ago would have went, listen, um, I'm turning the radio off on this guy. So that's my story. Uh, I'll, you know, Dylan or whatever your next question is, uh, go
0: for it. Well, my next question was, and I think Dylan already kind of answered this: is is you know that the change he went through, which was kind of agnostic to, there's something going on here, and I can't really ignore it. Is that is that a fair enough uh, assessment?
3: Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I came in not knowing, or, or I was really very neutral. I just said, okay, let's let's make this TV show. To that
0: probably helped. You know, kind
3: of be, yeah, well, just trying to basically being interested in what was going on, and and. Not necessarily trying to be like, you know, I'm going to spend every day of my life trying to figure this out. But I'm much more open to just what is happening. Let's see what else could happen here.
0: Yeah, when things start happening to you, they become not academic. um, And they they become um, something that you can't particularly explain to somebody else unless they've had that happen to them, too which is actually why I've had um, a couple people on the show, specifically, uh, I believe, Susan Demeter St. Clair, who's from uh, uh, Toronto, and Jeff Ritzman. And they've both been saying, and I've encouraged them to say, if you want something to happen to you, um, how would you go about it? And both of them, especially um, Jeff said, not a good idea, but if you want to, here we go. Um, Right. And the, the, the thing is, the reason I'm encouraging them to do that is not to make people go crazy or change people's lives or, or ruin anything. It's just that no matter how many times you tell somebody about something or this happened to them, unless they already believe anyway without having their own experience, which I know, don't know why you would 100%. But there is no way to explain to somebody what experiencing something strange is like. There, you just can't. So they have to have that experience themselves. The nearest analogy, strangely enough, I went, into, I went to um, St. Louis to visit uh, Ken Thomas during the eclipse. We, we went and stayed at his place, and he took us on this great cruise on the Mississippi River on a paddle wheel steamer, and we watched the eclipse from the middle of the Mississippi River. We saw the total eclipse. We saw the sun completely. Everything you hear about it is exactly what happens. But the thing is, actually experiencing it, if you didn't know it was coming... You would real. You would literally think it was the end of the world, mm-hmm. and you know it's coming. And it's still extremely strange. Just not even. I don't awe-inspiring because you know what it is. If it was, if it was, if you didn't know what it was, it wouldn't be awe-inspiring. It would be. It would be abjectly terrifying. And uh, Josh Kutchin pointed this out to me. He said maybe that's just a tiny taste of what somebody that has a very intimate experience with the paranormal goes through. Hmm. But you can't yeah. describe that to me. I have to have it happen to me.
2: It's weird. We do a podcast called Beyond Haunted, which is sort of something Dylan and I cooked up. Uh, it might have been Dylan's. I, it as a mutual idea. And we kind of break down each episode. So you can watch it here at, from 9.30 to 10 in Canada. And then at 10, immediately, boom, the Beyond Haunted podcast. You can listen to it anywhere. So, And we talk a lot about things other than just the episode. So in this week, Dylan... Here's a you know preview of what the is in the episode. Dylan asked, so how more or less? I think the question was kind of how and you how in, do you and Holly know that what you're experiencing is real, or was it something like that, Dylan? Do you remember towards the end? Did that make the show? Oh yeah.
3: Okay, because we had a pretty. I wish we were recording this. We had an hour long conversation about uh, the idea of you know if you knew for sure what would your brain go through. Right. Um yes. And, and uh, yeah, it, well, I was just interested because. You guys have had more experience in this than I have, and I think I just asked you, how do you know what you're dealing with is it, I guess.
2: I hope it's still in the show. I haven't gotten to the end, so you didn't stop recording, did you?
3: No, but I know that there was a pause, and then we got into a very, not heated, but an interesting conversation about concepts.
2: Yeah, we sort of went back in time, and I kind of uh, talked to Holly about something really strange that happened when we were shooting ghost cases, and never made the show because we weren't rolling, but it was kind of... You know, she sort of broke down in a location that really impacted her emotionally. And, uh, you know, I, it's one of the rare moments where I did the right thing and, you know, gave her a hug or whatever. She was in a really bad place and uh, crying in this the hallway of this inn we were in. So, you know, it can have that effect on you. But my answer to Dylan, I think, I, I haven't listened to this yet, it is kind of along the lines of, you know, I just I know what I know. And I'm not trying to sell anyone on it, and I'm not trying to convince anyone of it. That's, I suppose, the difference between me and someone like uh, James Fox, who is trying to sell people on certain answers. I'm not. I'm just saying I experienced something. All I can do is say I know as much as I can ever know that there's something out there that's interacting with us. Could I prove it? No, can't. Um, Do I want people to follow me like I'm some sort of cult leader? Do I have a movement? Am I going to start a new X conference? Nope, none of those things are true. Uh, I like talking about it because I think it's stimulating. So for me, the impact has been it makes me think and question our place in the universe and all that sort of stuff. And I like talking to people who have similar approaches. Other people, you know, uh, go and found religion. Uh, religions. Uh, Saul on the road to Damascus had a weird experience, and the next thing you know, um, a large part of the Roman Empire is Christian a couple hundred years later. So people can take these experiences and and run with them in all sorts of different directions. And the difference between me, and I don't want to pick on James Fox, because I've done that recently on the Paracast, but <laughs> I, sort, I sort of said in the Paracast that the dumbest title of any UFO documentary I've ever heard Uh, is Fox's film, I Know What I Saw. And I meant that because you don't. You don't know what you saw. You saw something. So you could have said the title of the film would be, I know I saw something that I can't explain but was interesting. But that's a terrible title, too, for different reasons. So, But he used the title, and proponents of UFOs and space aliens used the title, I Know What I Saw. I saw something in the sky, and it was space aliens. And the difference between James Fox and I is, my title would be, I know I saw something or I know I experienced something. I don't have a clue what it is.
1: All right. I
2: just know I can't explain it. And now, you know, Fox, your conversation is over because you've found your answer. Well, OK, the rest of it's just basically talking to people who agree with you. Here's what I do. I go out and I, I talk to people like Dylan and Holly and you and everybody who goes, we don't know. But let's talk about what it could be. Mm-hmm. And that's where the really interesting conversation comes, because it's it involves uh, theology, philosophy, science to a degree, um, all, everything in human history, all the various ranges of studies that we can do, all our emotions, the whole gamut is yeah, open, yeah. risk for the conversation. If you know what you saw, first of all, you didn't. You don't know what you saw. But if you think you did, well um, – Great. Well, the conversation's sort of over at that point, and then they turn around, they spend all their time trying to convince everybody else that that's actually what it was. Blah, not for me. And I don't know how we can ever know what we saw, or how Dylan, for instance, know, could know what he saw in the bathroom. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah. at, at the captain's house in his room in Yarmouth. He saw something, but how can he know what it was?
3: Well, I think it's it's fun, too, because I, I don't think I've ever gone this deep, and, and and not to say, like, I'm, I'm deep into the rabbit hole of, you know, this is what it is and all this stuff. But it, I have never looked at, you know, one piece of audio as much as I have Holly's thing where it sounds like something yelled at, at Holly.
0: Oh, yeah. No, never, we, you should describe that when you're done with this.
3: Yeah. Um, so th- there's this piece of audio that happened in the Queens County Museum, and it, it basically sounds like... Oh. And it, it, we've slowed it down, and we've actually realized that it actually sounds like Holly's name. But I've never huh. gone this deep into basically spending my time trying to explain it because i've looked at this uh i you know i t- would take the audio I'd, I'd reverse it i'd slow it down i'd, I'd do everything that i te- tech um technology wise that i could do with it and it's just this kind of fun thing the ones that really interest me are the ones that i could spend hours on trying to debunk but i can't i think those are the And me and Paul have had conversations about this one clip of audio, too. It's just this very interesting thing that we've looked at this every which way, and we still can't say, yeah, it was probably this.
2: I'm just trying to think here. Speaking of that audio, I think I can call it up. Let me see here.
0: Yeah. uh, uh, When I came for, I think, Paul's wedding, um, he showed it to me uh, for the first time, and it's of all the things I've seen on that show, or things I've seen on on screen, that act, one actually kind of, sort of freaked me out. And i I'm, un, I'm, I think I'm kind of unfreakoutable on most things.
2: You are, which is what made that interesting. Um, I'm just sort of, I'm giving Dylan the, you know, sign like, drag this out while trying <laughs> <okay." laughs> to Because I have to try and find it Well, go ahead and
0: find it. Um, I I don't know if I described all of this, but I went there with, uh, as I said, with Dylan and Paul uh, during the East Coast Pair Conference uh, a couple months ago in in August. And uh, we did a ghost hunt there. And I went in kind of with with Dylan's um, attitude. I'm not going to be freaked out. I'm not going to be amazed. I'm not going to be running for the door like Scooby-Doo or anything like that. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to give in to the whatever wonder or whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to consider myself a Zen-like instrument of, of, you know, whatever happens. I don't care if nothing happens, and if something does, I'm not going to really get that excited about it. And stuff started to happen. And I actually, when the REM pod started making noise, as if Mac Tonys was answering through it, I actually told Dylan and Paul, turn it off. If you don't mm-hmm. think it does this ever, turn it off and reset it. And to their credit, they're like, oh, no, not, they didn't say that. They said, yeah, that's right. That would be a scientific thing to do. And Dylan or Paul or one, both of you at different times turned the thing off and back on again. And it did the same stuff. So that was quite interesting to me. And the other thing was feeling the chill down the back of my scalp and down my back and the back of my legs and out my feet One twice. Right. I don't know what that was, where it came from. It was psychosomatic or what. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't think about it. All these these two women said, I think I think they were saying they were talking to some little girl or something that lived there because it was we were hearing this crying noise on the radio over and over and over again. I don't know who broadcast 10 minutes of a girl little girl crying on the radio. Um, yeah, that was bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. and I, they said, "I think she feels crowded and maybe she doesn't want all these all these big you know adults around so i actually backed off and went and stood near the door and stood you know between a couple of mannequins which is freaky enough but in the dark sort of in the dark and these two women said something just went by us right now and at that point i immediately felt that thing go down the back of my scalp and my neck and my shoulders and my back and you know down the back of my legs and out my and it happened again with nobody saying anything maybe a few minutes later i don't know what that was and the third thing was going upstairs with the with the pod and uh, Dylan putting it on top of that mannequin, which, you know, as we know, Mac was all into mannequins, and the, the light went on blue in this hot uh, uh, attic where it's supposed to turn blue when it gets cold. And it's supposed yeah. to give a tone when it gets cold. It not only did not give the tone, it turned blue in a hot attic when the, the temperature hadn't changed. And it stayed blue. It's only supposed to blink on once for cold yeah. and blink red and, and buzz for warm. And so I said, take it off of there. went off. Put it back on. It went on. Turn it off. Turn it back on. Same thing. Then we went downstairs later, and the thing beeped and turned red. I mean, turned blue because we were going from this hot area of the attic down into the cooler area uh, on on the first floor. So that's what happened to me there. And the entire t- and also I walked through the <laughs> Dylan trailing a, a cold spot. I've never <laughs> yeah. experienced any of that stuff before. I was not against it, and I wasn't for it, but it was interesting. And I don't think, I, I don't know what it proves to me. It, it proves that people experience things that they say they've experienced. I don't, I, I never thought they were lying, but now I know deep, you know, deep within my soul that they, they aren't lying because I had it happen to me. I don't know what yeah. it means, but I do know that these people aren't lying or mistaken or whatever. We
2: can, like I said, we contextualize everything. So all of that stuff was happening within the context of, you know, coming back and trying to you know, recreate the experience that we had during the show when I called out Mac Tony's and and more or less all of that stuff happened. And it's the only place that the REM pod ever behaved like that
3: for us. Well, right? it's it, it's funny because we, um, as a joke, I mentioned to Paul when we got to the pair conference, I said, we should go try that, that REM pod again because it happened to us in the first episode of Haunted right. where the REM pod went off and, and it seemed to be Mac related. So jokingly, I said, hey, let's try it again. Sure enough, it did it. The same thing again in the same place. Now, I know what you're thinking. Must be must be the place. If it happened twice and it's the only place this, this has happened to, we've been to however many locations and there's only one place that, that the REM pod does this, mm-hmm. it must be the location. So we tried it a third time. Guess what? Nothing happened.
2: Right. But when we tried it the third time, we weren't contextualizing it, were we?
3: Yeah kind loosely not as much though. no not as and much as
2: different time and place the, to me the really weird thing was taking it up into the attic with you along greg too so if you yeah. want to double down on the mac tony's theory and i'm not saying we ran into mac but here are two no of no
0: that this is one of my questions coming up but go
2: ahead right so previously it had just been me linda or linda sorry holly had met um there's a mistake i should make holly had met <laughs> mac more than once but, uh, you know, they weren't good friends, for sure. But uh, So it was kind of just me. This time it was me, and you were kind of doubling down on the Mac thing, because there you were, two of the three surviving members of what I jokingly call the Cabal, uh, both there. And we do the mannequin thing, and we take it up, and, I mean, it just, it, you can hear us. I recorded it, I had my iPad, I recorded it live. You can even hear Craig Going holy or whatever you said, but definitely a little. Don't you have that
0: clip up. up on on YouTube? Actually, it is. It, it is up. I on YouTube. I will link it when when I post the show.
2: Yeah, I'll see if I might be on Facebook. I might have to share it over to the um, to your Radio Mysterioso page. But, oh yeah, uh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it up or whatever because it, it's weird. Our reactions are weird, and the way that it as soon as you said, I think you said, "Well, take it off, take it off the mannequin," and as soon as Dylan pulls it off the mannequin, it's like boop, off. Nothing happening. And that it just should not behave
0: like that. Yeah, and There's, it went back on when he put it back on. Twice, I think. More than twice.
2: Right. And we're in a really hot attic. So if anything, and you when you were coming up, Dylan, it went red, right? Exactly. Which it
3: should do. Well, well when I was coming up the stairs, I was holding the base, because basically this thing is a plastic uh base to it and then the metal parts that mm-hmm. those are the metal things or it's what's gonna react. So I was holding a plastic base to make sure that nothing that I was doing was going to affect this thing. And it was acting normal. It was giving me small little beeps of red, small beeps of red. The only time it was weird again was as I jokingly thought, huh, that that would probably fit on that mannequin. This will be funny. And sure enough,
4: yeah. well, it's like I said earlier,
3: it's, it's when you don't plan or expect anything to happen that these bizarre scenarios go on.
2: So I have I found the video. Uh, it's in one of the trailers, which is the Holly audio that we heard at the end of Queens County Museum. Now, I don't know if this will work, because I've, I've got to run it through my iPad, because when I'm on Skype, I can't get sound out of the computer, blah, blah, blah.
0: Well, so, yeah, uh, yeah, give it give it a little bit of setup here.
2: Right. So this comes from, we're at the second part of the Queens County Museum, so it's a two-parter episode. tonight night, though. And we had had uh, me with the Mac thing, the REM pod had been acting up, and then again for Holly and Kim Bennett. And so a series of strange things had happened. But uh, Holly was just walking back into this, this archives room, which is sort of a meeting room where they keep the records at the museum. And some strange stuff had happened there. Uh, Holly and I had heard noises. Uh, I had felt really cold, uh, stuff like that. And there, it was one of the rooms that Lynn Rafuse, who runs the museum, had pointed out to us as being, you know, this is one of the rooms where paranormal activity seems to happen. She had seen shadows and other people and stuff like that. So anyway, this is a room that you would think, OK, stuff might happen. But we weren't recording this. Uh, Holly's mic wasn't on. Uh, the only way we caught this was when a CCTV camera just pointed into the room that was running all the time. So that's what caught it on video. And Holly had her digital audio recorder with her. Right. Or was it on the table? She had it on the table. Right. It was on the table. She wasn't even carrying it, but it was still running because we would we would leave these recorders in rooms and let them run for hours to see if they pick anything up. So that's the only reason we have any sort of evidence, if you will, of what actually happened. So Holly wanders out of the room and I still don't know to this day what she does, but she wanders around for a little bit and she's she's kind of on a break. We're all sort of on a break. And then she, the camera picks her walking past it, she, and she goes to the room, and Chelsea, our sound person, comes in after. Ollie gets to the table where the digital audio recorder is, and she's looking at that point right at a painting of Mrs. Gorham, who may or may not be this cranky old lady who was interacting with us, or some force was pretending it was Mrs. Gorham. I don't know. We can talk about that. And Chelsea comes in. And uh, you be Chelsea and I'll be Holly. So Dylan's going to be Chelsea and I'm going to be Holly. And then we'll actually play for you what happened. So here I am, Holly. <laughs> hey, Holly. Uh, yeah, dude. Um, oh, ah.
3: Well, Chelsea adds, "Can I get your battery pack?" And then it goes off. Yeah. Because all all Chelsea wanted to do was change the wireless mic
0: battery. Right.
2: And Holly goes, "Sure." And as she's saying that, something you hear. Oh.
0: It and sounded um, like somebody going ah oh, to me.
2: Yeah, exactly, yep. and and then Holly she breathes, She's like she jumps back in the Beyond Haunted podcast this week. I compare it to if Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit had actually mated. This, it, you would have had a tall redhead like Holly, <laughs> but she jumps like a rabbit because she literally kind of jumps back. I almost wanted to put a sound effect boing in as she jumps back in the show because she literally jumps back and she is totally. I've never seen her in all the years I've known her, all the places we've been. I've never seen her literally terrified. And she was terrified because, as she described it, it was as if something was right in front of her and screamed at her. Yeah, and so cool. So if you don't have anything running, what do we have? We've got a story. We've got Holly saying she heard something, and Chelsea heard heard it too, right? Yeah, you know, Chelsea heard it. I heard it because
3: um, I was outside of the room. Right. But what I thought I heard was, was Holly screaming. Turns out Holly didn't scream. She just inhaled really loud. Yep. It's the voice that I heard.
2: So. And we couldn't prove any of that to you except for the fact we had these two things running that we didn't even really – Think of we're running. No. They're just running because that's where we set them up. And so what you see is you see Holly walking in and jumping like the love child of Jessica and Robert, Roger Rabbit in, inhaling <laughs> and everything. And then the aftermath where she's you know really freaked out. But you hear it on her audio recorder. It picks it up. And then you can listen to it. And in Dylan's case, you can take it back to the cabins we were staying in and manipulate the audio to try and slow it down, speed it up, see if you can pull anything out of it. And so, what I'm going to play now, and I'm going to hold it up to the mic, and hopefully this works.
0: I actually it found have... it here on online, too. So, oh. if it's not so clear, I can play it through my computer.
2: All right. Well, you tell me if this works out clear, and if it doesn't, then. We'll, we'll play it do both,
0: here. but yeah, let's see.
2: Here it comes. Uh, you have this for
1: us? Uh, oh, God. What, 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 what was that? I don't know.
2: So, that, I don't know if folks could hear that, but the awe. Uh, which interrupts the conversation happening between Chelsea and Holly pretty clearly, is what Holly heard. And it was as if somebody was standing in front of her yelling at her. Um,
0: yeah, I asked her what it was like, and she said, yeah, it's as if somebody was standing three feet from my face and went, ah, mm-hmm. an invisible person.
2: So what does that mean? And what Dylan did is he went and he manipulated the audio, and not in a fake way, but just trying to, what an audio engineer would do to, to sort of see if you can find something within the stack, within the noise that, uh, might be interesting. And I put it in the trailer for the episode, the, um, well, you, you describe it cause it's really a Dylan and Holly moment, which is kind of fun and describe too, Dylan, if you could, what you did to the audio, the, sure. all the various things you did. So I, um, cause we, we had listened
3: back, back on the day, to our audio recorder. And that's when we noticed, wait, that's not right. So my first initial thought, because we thought it was one of the walkie talkies going off was, okay, I want to go listen to this again because the walkie talkies have a very distinctive beep that happens after you call through. It's like, you know, blah, 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 the beep couldn't find that. So I was like, okay, then what is this? So I slowed it down. Uh, I sped it up. I reversed it and slowed it down, and sped it up. I, uh, pitched it so it would be normal sounding, because if you, if you speed something up, it sounds like the chipmunks. If you slow it down, you sound like Darth Vader. And, you know, it gets deeper in, in tone. And it's when I was doing all that that I realized that the voice continues past Holly's inhale. And I was wow. like, wait, that's another syllable. And it's it was the first time that I realized, whoa, maybe that's not, you know, uh, maybe that's Oh and then what we're not hearing, which is under Holly's inhale, is he. <laughs> and then I what I did was I and I was very careful about this because I don't even think I told you first. I think I may have hit it from you. I started showing people without context of what I thought it was now, to see what they thought. I showed Holly's mother. Mm-hmm. She immediately said, Oh yeah, it says Holly. I showed my mother, who doesn't even know Holly, she's like oh, yeah, it sounds like it says Holly. And everybody started hearing the same thing I was hearing. I was like, holy crap. And when you see the episode where Holly goes, it's my name.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That is the first time she's hearing it in the same context that I was at the time. I did not tell her or even hint at what I was hearing as she heard her name. The one thing, too, and it's the one thing that I can't really explain. Oh, well, there's a lot I can't explain about this, but it's the one thing that really piqued my interest in... Probably this whole paranormal thing, because this was pretty early on in the season,
1: mm-hmm.
3: was that when I slowed it down, f- for all intents and purposes, the clip should have went deeper in pitch. Oh, for everything. For everything. Holly's inhale, it sounds like you know a, a male's voice now. Yeah. Exactly. The weirdest thing, though, is that when I slow it down, the voice that we're hearing gets higher in pitch. Huh. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Nope. And I can't explain why it does that.
2: I ran a recording studio. I was a musician. I've talked to other audio engineers. We use good audio engineers. They don't, like nobody has offered me.
0: I was an audio happen. engineer. Yes. Well, if you can tell me how that would
2: happen, that if you take it down for everything, one thing in there goes up as everything else goes down. I, I've never so, heard
0: of such a thing in the hundreds of hours of audio editing I've done. <laughs> <laughs> right. So
2: all of a sudden, everything that's normal, that is not this sound, goes, oh, Like it's slower. And it goes, ah, and I'm overemphasizing it. but It sounds like
3: this weird angelic chorus. Yes. It's so bizarre. Because yep. when you hear it normal, it just sounds like somebody saying, oh. But when you slow it down, which, uh, again, it should be going deeper, it sounds like there are like 50 voices joining in on this one little bit of a chorus. It is the weirdest thing I've you ever heard. You don't have
0: that?
2: I don't have it on me. No, I wish no. I did. I could. It would take me ten minutes to find it by. <laughs> and I actually I couldn't play the audio. I don't think given the computer situation here. Okay. Um, I, I have this
0: it, queued up. I can actually play the real one, so it'll it'll sound clear to people that are listening. I think. Hope.
2: What what Dylan just talked about is not in the episode. The part because you know I have an hour and I got to cram a lot into two half hour right, right. episodes. And we had so much happen. The the deconstruction of the audio that we did at the cottages probably was 30 or 40 minutes of footage. Yeah. So I whittle it down to three or four, and I took the high points, which is... And I mean, it's television, folks. So the high point is the end when Holly goes, yep, that's my name. That's the punchline, so that's what makes it into the episode. Right. There's a ton of fun stuff before that where Dylan's going through all these other experiments. And if I had more time, and I'll put it up as an extra at some point... Where you hear this angelic chorus and the it goes higher and lower and, and that's just weird. I didn't have a place to put it. You have to prioritize. Yeah. And Holly hearing her name is weirder than that.
3: Fair. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, and it it's more personal. But yeah, there's definitely there was a lot of weird stuff embedded in that audio, and I mean it is. I told somebody I don't like making these claims. It's not about hey we're better than you or we're you know we're the best ghost show or whatever. I actually have watched a lot of ghost shows. I kind of enjoy some of them now. Um, I like ghost adventures because it's fun. I mean, it's, I don't. Think it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, it's entertainment. I like Zach Baggins. He's he's cool. He's hip. Um, of everything I've seen on those shows, and I'll assume that it's all legit. Like if they're faking it, fine. I'm, and I know sometimes they do. I'm just going to say it's all legit, though. I still think what we caught in the Queens County Museum is the best piece. And I will use this word of evidence. Of something, not of your dead grandmother or or life after death or whatever, but of something that is not human, that was not equipment oriented because we ruled everything out that could have been equipment. There was nothing that could have made that sound from anything that we had there, from any of the people we had in the building, just couldn't have happened. No. And we put our skeptical hats on, we put our professional hats on, we take our job seriously, you know, our reputation is film and audio guys, nothing. And so when I see something like that, I'm happy to say if you've got something better, it's not a competition. I'd like to hear it because I'd like to hear what's better than this because this is really freaking weird. And if you've got something that's just as weird or weirder, that will enhance what we have as opposed to you know a competition. But I I don't know where that is, so I throw that out to your listeners. If you've got something like that, I'd like to hear it because to me that is... The weirdest thing we ever caught Chesky Krumlov for me is the most frightening weirdest thing I ever experienced personally uh, so, until we started doing Haunted but this we actually caught on tape and that uh, like there it is, people can listen to it and you can think one of two things, either we faked it and it's really bad fakery if we did and uh, or we didn't and the nice thing is we see it happen in real time so it's not a setup or anything it really happened and I'd like somebody to explain it I really would because then, you know, that's what we're doing this for, too. If you can explain these things away, well, that's cool. We'd like to know what your explanation is. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, let me play this. I'll, I'll turn up the, the audio on the computer speakers here so you can hear it, too. This is um, uh, the scene. Uh, I, I'm feeding it straight through the uh, uh, my audio setup here. Oh, yeah. Do you have
1: those for oh. oh, God. What? 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 what?
0: So that was it.
2: Yeah, and the ah uh, is the sound. Yeah, and it's so loud, like it. It's if the audio recorder was on the table. It's as if the person was standing right next to the damn thing. Yeah, and I forgot to. Yeah, that's not anyone
1: we've brought in. They're One just, more. They're just visitors. Oh, yeah. Do you have those four? Oh.
3: It's so, it still gives me cold chills. The one thing that I that I think, and Paul just mentioned this, like that cabin scene that's coming up where we all de- deconstruct this. The one thing I mentioned, too, was that um, these recorders that we're using, they, they record in 3D space. Right. So basically, if something happens in front of the recorder or to the left or the right, I'll be able to hear where it's coming from. Right. So if, if Paul's standing on the left, I'm standing on the right, you'll hear that in the speakers. It's in stereo. You'll hear each side. Holly's inhale. And the noise that we heard are on two different sides of the recorder. Which I thought was very interesting because she said it sounded like it was in her face. Yeah. But as the audio recorder shows me, and I don't know if this will come through the clip online because of, you know, Facebook likes to mess with, you know, encoding and stuff, it sounds like it was feet away, mm. but she says it sounded like it was right in her face. So there's so many things that are just it just kind of builds the stockpile of what is this?
0: Yeah, I this think the part- hum- the human instrument picking something up is is much different than what we consider recording instruments. There, there's, there's there's sometimes, especially in these things, I think there's a wide divergence in what's picked up and what's sensed and whatever is, and how the person experiences remembers it.
2: Yeah. See, the fun thing for me is that Dylan is kind of like me eight years ago. So he's had his mind open and occasionally blown, but he still has that <laughs> veneer of trying to explain (laughs) keep away from it to not fully embrace the you know the journey or whatever until you sit and you talk to him which you can't see him right now but I can but even as he's talking to it you can go yeah he's hooked and it's not just that he's hooked it's somewhere in the back of his mind there's an awakening coming and it just hasn't crashed through completely yet the shield and maybe it never does maybe it'll bounce off someday some people it does but the more and more you experience that is uh, genuinely weird, the more and more that is that wall is broken down. And in this case, I think it's a good thing. Uh, your your sort of um, avenues of perception increase. And so I can it's fun for me because I can see it in him when he talks. He doesn't even know he does it. And uh, I think Holly and I have talked about this, too. You know, you can see it. It's, it hasn't happened to Chelsea yet. It hasn't happened to my brother yet because they haven't <laughs> been on the front lines really as much as Dylan, but it it started to, he's, he's become aware of the force and uh, it's, he's at like Anakin early on in attack of the clones. He hasn't fully embraced it yet, but you know, it's getting there. Cool. Wait, what happens to Anakin in the end? Oh crap. No, he makes it out. He's
0: fine. (laughs) (laughs) He lives a long, happy life. Yeah. Yeah. He's cool. All right. We're, we're, we're almost at the end or out of time here. Um, you guys, you said you got renewed for another uh, another season, huh?
2: Yes, and actually, uh, that we have the paperwork for. But um, the conversation is sort of renewed us for two seasons. Wow! So, uh, so we should be ghost investigating for another year or so to come. Hopefully, definitely one more season contracted, signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, and the other one, you know, looks good. And I think it's a good show. Um, You know, it's still relatively low-budget Canadian television, so we do not have the resources Ghost Adventures has or Ghost Hunters did. We just don't have that kind of money. Um, But we have enough money, and I think we're smart about how we do it. And for us, the important thing is to make sure that, yeah, sure, we can't do all those fancy-schmancy recreations that they do. But here's the thing. We don't have to. Because for us, it's about, like, you're going to get 50 minutes or 55 minutes of us. And stuff happening. And we're just – and sometimes – and I know some folks might find it dull. It, you know, there will be a segment of people who love Ghost Adventures and go, well, maybe this is a little dull. But sometimes it will be kind of like, hey, you just checked into five minutes of an episode of Radio Miserioso. Dylan, Paul, and Holly uh, on camera but kind of talking about what just happened and running ideas around. And those ideas will include – could be your dead grandmother. You know, we don't rule that out. But we kind of move on from that and say, well, okay, that's what everybody thinks it is. What else could it be?
0: Mm-hmm. Let's
2: talk about those things. Yeah. And uh, that is something else you asked me earlier on, uh, what separates our, our ghost show from others, or you hinted at it at least. That's yeah. the second. We talk about those things, and I don't think those other ghost shows do. And I'm actually quite proud of that. Yeah. So it's the kind yeah. of ghost show that I think Mac Tony's would have liked because uh, that's what we talk about even as we're showing us on this journey so that each one of these experiences is linked to the next. That We do not view them in isolation, which a lot of these ghost shows do. We view them as part of us, not part necessarily. We joked with one place, you might not have had ghosts when we got here, but you sure as hell did when we left. <laughs> um, we, left some, we may have left some baggage we behind. We try and drop it off. Those Nazis, the ghost Nazis, we try and drop those guys <laughs> off in and we haven't gotten rid of them yet.
3: To be fair. Ghost <laughs> and we Nazis always want to be fair. The Nazi thing is 100% a Paul Kimball yeah. experiment. That yeah, as so he
0: said, up. I think I called up ghost Nazis. I remember he was showing me the outtakes from that, too, or at least while he was uh, editing.
2: Not the best idea I ever had. And to be fair, Holly, for all my criticism of Holly, as an evil experimenter on Dylan's soul. Yeah, occasionally I do stuff like that, too. I just yeah. do it in a more general sense. Holly specifies it to individuals.
0: It's it's a Canadian it version tired. of saying "I dare you to whatever," like they do on the American ones.
2: Um, sure,
0: yeah, no, I never do that. I I think the one huh. thing, the yeah, you, I do you it go, all the time. You,
3: yeah, you laugh over there. I I think, <laughs> it's, uh, I think the one thing that I'm proud of is that there's not a single moment in this entire series where we're like, oh, "Demon, it's got to be a demon, it's got," to oh my god, the orb is a ghost. We've seen as we. We are as rational as ghost investigators can be.
0: I well, think. yeah, that, and more importantly, I think um, uh, non-attached, agnostic. Let's see where the let's see where the evidence takes us. Don't take any of it too seriously, but pay attention. You know that, that sounds like that sounds exactly like how I'd want to do a, a ghost show. Maybe well, yeah. you can come up for season two. Maybe uh, I maybe two. I will. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we, we I, do, I would love we do. to, even though I've experienced a little bit so far. It's just kind of like that agnostic attitude seems to take you a lot further. Um, actually, and-
2: actually, for season two, we are going back to Queens County Museum. <laughs> and you will be in that episode because we will use the iPad footage we shot at the Paracon oh, right, right. to set that episode up. Why are we going back? Because we went back and weird stuff continued to happen. This is maybe the weirdest place we've been. We need to revisit. Yeah.
3: Including what, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, Greg, I'm not sure if you were in the room for this, but to, including I did a ghost box session and I asked if there was anybody that wasn't with us that night that <laughs> they wanted to talk to and I could have sworn it said Holly. Ah, uh, yes.
2: Ghost box loves Who doesn't love Holly? But the ghost box <laughs> really loves Holly. It's always Holly. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had the ghost box try and help me my political campaign did not do as good as no, no like no. and nobody did no. but it oh. does love Holly, yeah,
0: there is one thing I forgot, and i 've got i 've got to really stick my nose in here about my my co creation thing. How much of this when it 's going on is not made up by you, but how much of it in in a general way do you think is coming from the witness? And how much of it is coming from some external stimulus? Meaning, as I say with the UFO thing, how much do we bring to the dance? Do you think that varies? Do you think it's a viable you know, uh, thing to talk about or what?
2: Um, I'll go first then I'll let Dylan go. Uh, two things. One, we, we steal shamelessly from your idea. And to be fair, we credit it. I think in Beyond Haunted this week, we actually mention you by name and say, look, Greg, my friend Greg has this co-creation hypothesis and we talk about it. Yeah. So again... Not something you're probably going to hear from Zach Daggins, No offense to Zach. You know, we explore those kinds of things and other people's ideas. My sort of thinking would be, say you have an interest in baseball. And you're sitting in a bar, and it could even be a sports bar. And you notice there's all these people sitting around you. And most of them are talking about football. And then you notice there's a table where there's a bunch of guys, a couple of guys talking about baseball. You want to talk about baseball. So which table are you going to go sit to if you're going to go talk to folks? You're going to go to the baseball table. But why? You'll go to the baseball table because they were talking baseball. So I kind of think that's the sort of co-creation thing where you're inviting people in and you're opening yourself up and then you're bouncing, without even knowing it sometimes, ideas off whatever's out there. And it's bouncing some of its ideas back to you in whatever form it chooses to use. And so, yeah, I think it's, I would use the phrase you've created the co-creation hypothesis. I'd use the phrase paranormal symbiosis hypothesis. Yeah. Which is exactly what the co-creation hypothesis is. I just don't want to pay royalties on it. So I've created <laughs> the paranormal symbiosis hypothesis. Well, yeah, PSA. sort of. I've
0: I've got this continuum. It's like where on the percentage of how much we contribute to the to the dance do do things fall? And I think it varies. By yes. by person, by event, by all you know what the temperature is out that day or whatever the hell. But in some cases, it's closer to a hundred percent. Us, and other cases, it might be closer to a hundred percent. Whatever the other thing is, if you pause it in another, which which I do because it's more interesting.
3: Yeah, I, it's it's funny because I was pretty much just exactly, <laughs> was going to say that. I I think it depends on a on a, you know, case to case basis. I I find it interesting because it's um. I think the ones that we want to explore more are kind of this 50-50 partnership between what is external and what is internal. So, you know, you're not going to follow, like you just said, you know, I want to talk about baseball. Well, I'm not going to go to the football table. I'm going to go to the baseball table. So maybe the way I kind of see it is that I let the space do whatever it's going to do, but if there's something that catches my attention that I can relate to, then I'll start following that a little bit more. So I think it depends, but it could be a 50-50 kind of, I think the dance is a good metaphor for it. Sure. Yeah.
2: It's the ghost Nazi thing. and Sure. Because we were in a museum <laughs> and I studied the Nazis. I wrote my thesis, my honors thesis in university on the origins of the Second World War, the primary emphasis on the Nazis. In law school, I wrote my thesis on the Nuremberg trials, so beginning and ending of the war. Um, I'm well acquainted over the years with Nazis. In fact, when I first started dating Linda, she came to my room at university and said, why do you have a copy of Mein Kampf? On your, show. That's, is there something I should know and you know, explain it so when I see they had a swastika armband that somebody had brought back from Europe and they're, can, um, they're displaying one of their display cases in this military museum
3: this is why we don't let Paul alone very yeah. often just so you know
2: Exactly. I'm, I'm instantaneously interested in this not because I like Nazis like Trump does but because I've studied them and my study has always been to try and find out how did they do it so we know how to combat evil in the future whatever And so I say, look, this residual energy idea that I know some folks, friends of mine talk about, that objects can retain energy. Well, let's just assume that maybe they do, if that's true. If there are any Nazis on this armband or these other Nazi artifacts, you know, uh, make yourself know what harm could come from that. (laughs) And as soon as I said those words, I thought, "Ah, son of a gun, Holly's going to kill me. That's what harm could come from it. But so there's co-creation, right? Maybe they're not Nazis, whatever ends weird stuff happened that night after that. So maybe it's just something out there and it it hears me say this and goes, hmm, this is my ghost or my my advanced non-human intelligence voice. Hmm, I don't know what these Nazis are. Let me look through the non-human advanced intelligence equivalent of Google. Ooh, they were bad. But... I'll send them to Paul anyway, and off they go. (laughs) And that's, you know, like Marvin the Martian is the advanced non-human intelligence. (laughs) Uh, I'll send it via the ray gun. So, you know, but does that, do we have any of those experiences that night? Unless, or at least most of them, there were a couple others, but a lot of them seem to come after that. Did I go in and go, you know what, here, and this is what I'm thinking of, and then it just kind of channels itself in that way? I don't know. But I, I definitely think, you have to open yourself up to it and you kind of, in many cases you sort of have to ask like, Hey, here I am. Um, rock me like a hurricane to uh, quote mm-hmm. the immortal pop bards, the scorpions. And, and I think sometimes they do rock you like a hurricane. Yeah.
4: Well, I
3: think it's interesting too, is when, when somebody else, you know, starts things and without telling the others, it starts affecting other people who have no idea what you're doing. That's mm-hmm. uh, so the, the, with the perv- with the, um, we brought on GoPros about halfway through the season and Paul really took a liking to the GoPros, but it also came at a price because then he would go off alone with the GoPro. (laughs) He
0: he can Can shoot it up. Cause mischief.
3: He would start causing things, but it's interesting because that's a good example. We were kind of having a dry night that night until you decided to interact with
2: ghost ghost Nazis.
0: Nazis,
2: This great scene. We're all, we're all standing together in the, in sort of one of the hallways or whatever. And Holly's describing and Dylan heard it too, the sound that she heard and this sort of loud thudding sound. And I go, uh, did you know, did it maybe sound have you ever heard anybody goose step? <laughs> and she goes, No why? And I did it sound like this? And I start goose stepping. And she goes, Yeah, no, that's what it sounded like. And I, I just go, Uh oh. And she goes, What did you do? And I go, um, <laughs> well I uh, I may have um I may have uh, inadvertently <laughs> invited someone ghost Nazis, and you hear Dylan go, Paul. That's the exact voice. <laughs> and Holly, eyes widen, and she sort of raised her, and said, what did you? And I went, yeah, no, it seemed. And then I go, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> but I see now in hindsight that maybe – maybe not such a good idea yeah. and she stalks out of the room she was legitimately bona fide mad at me a little bit yeah yeah and she said that's i'm she walked out of the room and I, you know, I sort of walk away and then i stick my head back in front of the camera and go yeah no you know he's got a point here um <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of the eric cartman of ghost hunting sometimes that's a good title that's a perfect title <laughs> yeah. it's
0: like hey ghost you know, nancy's you know, kind of cool let's get them in here <laughs>
2: ghost nancy's cool let's get yeah, let's get them <laughs> in here and and Holly sometimes is T-T's. like What are you doing, Cartman? But then it flips around. And sometimes where Dylan's concerned, Holly becomes Cartman only worse. So whatever <laughs> You know, yeah, I'm gonna send some demons to Dylan. Wait, no, that's like wait, that's Peter Giffen, Griffin from, you from just, I like, Yeah, I'm gonna say <laughs> Ghost Nazis. Wait, no, that would be me. That
3: would be you. Okay. You're mixing up your experiments there.
2: I'm ghost Nazis. Uh Holly is demons. Yes, yeah. those are areas of expertise,
0: and I'm the lab rat
2: Dylan is, Dylan is Fernando the lab rat
0: so we got two uh seasons coming of ghosts uh, i'm sorry haunted sorry paul of uh, haunted coming um but I was saving this till last. You can't see it in the United States yet
2: no, but our new vice president of or soon to be minted vice president of digital media Dylan garland hello is uh, <laughs> We're working. it should be available on hopefully on iTunes, Amazon, Hulu and some or all of those platforms early in 2018. Ah, yeah. producing
0: everywhere. duties, wonderful, good.
2: Yes. Everywhere but Canada. We will have to geo block in Canada because of exclusivity up here for Eastlink. Yeah. But everywhere else in the world you should be able to see it much sooner than you were able to see ghost cases. We've already started the process, so yes. hopefully oh, by season two it'll be even easier. So.
0: Okay. Well, when, when, you, when, it, when it gets distributed here, maybe you guys can come back on and tell about some of the new things you've done. And if your minds have changed and if you have uh, think that uh, anything we've talked about here is either more right or less right or I'm full of crap or I was, I was proved partially right or whatever the hell, that'd be great. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, Absolutely. Thanks for spending a little over two hours with me. Uh, the guest always gets to pick the outro music. Paul's been on the show, I think, 88 or 89 times. I don't think Dylan ever has, so he gets to pick the outro music, and I'll just call it up off of YouTube.
2: Perfectly fair, and I'm now holding up a sign that says Morrissey, but he will ignore that.
0: <laughs> I get to pick—okay. Is there any restraints on this? No, no, ex- no restraints whatsoever. Anything you want. I don't care if it's PG or X or, or whatever. Although if it's okay. Billy Joel I ain't playing
1: it.
3: Well, here's here's the thing. And I, don't, I Paul, Paul may have already asked to play this, but uh I'm going to pick somebody told me by the Killers because it was a bit of an ongoing ghost inside joke throughout Haunted
0: Sun. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know what the the one thing you have not uh, explained? What's the Brazilian thing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. So we're watching the WWE pay-per-view tonight, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, which you would think every match would have those in them, but no, only the last match did. And at one point, I'm kind of, what was I trying to do? Okay, he was, he might not be the right one to say this, because it's
3: an outsider's perspective, it's funny. Paul is going through, um, he's looking up something, I can't remember the context, and he's talking about uh, population for some reason, and then he's talking about the 180 billion people in South America.
2: Who speak Portuguese. So I was, I was referencing Brazil. And so I said, yeah, the, and it wasn't 120. No, you said 180 right. bill, actually, billion was, with a B. I was closer then to the million number. So I said, yeah, you know, <laughs> Portugal is a small country, but there's actually 180 uh, billion people who speak Portuguese. <laughs> they live in Brazil. And my brother and Dylan both go. 180? And I went, yeah. Billion. What? (laughs) No, no, I said million. And then I realized, no, I said billion. So um, it turns out there's 200 million people in Brazil, roughly, and they speak Portuguese. So I was close in the millions. But that was they kept teasing me about that the whole night. So yeah.
3: Yeah, that's where it comes from. The Earth got bigger.
2: <laughs> Earth got and so, I, so I said, the Large Hadron Collider has moved us into an alternate <laughs> universe and the future where Brazil has somehow won World War Four and taken over the entire planet and colonized space. And there are 180 billion Brazilian colonists out there. They didn't really buy it, but that's the best I could think of. You don't uh, know until you see. <laughs> <laughs> Crank's like, uh,. <laughs> I,
0: I no, the reason I said, uh, is I just got a message from my sister that she bought me World Series tickets.
2: Oh, well, that's a, that's exciting. Congratulations on the Dodgers being in. Go Houston.
0: <laughs> oh, you bastard. All I said to Carlos <laughs> when he said, go Houston, go Astros, was a worthy opponent. <laughs> the Dodgers, but Houston
2: had a hurricane this year, so it'll make them feel
1: better. <laughs>
0: The, it will, but we'll see, we'll see how um, uh, 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 humanitarian I feel when the series starts. Whatever. We're, we're not going to dwell the, on baseball, but. I
2: got the Dodgers in five. That's my prediction.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you, I, 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 would, I would stretch it out to six, but I agree with you. Anyway, uh, here is. Uh, oh, thank you both. Dylan Garland no, and uh, our new friend Dylan Garland and our old friend Paul Kimball for coming on and talking about this and theorizing the hell out of it and indulging me with that. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you. This is a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, no, this was great. And it was great to be back on The Paracat. Oh, wait, no. I'm <laughs> taking over my screen to Chris O'Brien there for a second. Radio Mysterious.
0: <laughs> okay, here's the Killers with Somebody Told Me. Right, Dylan? That's what you wanted? Yep. Okay, here we go. And thanks again.
4: Toodle.